listening to Geek Watch One with Kylan and Ken on the Tangent Bound Network. Do not adjust your settings. Take your hands off the keys. Your search is over. These are the geeks you're looking for. You found Geek Watch One with Kylan and Ken. Hey, Geeksters, I'm Kylan. And I'm Sleepy. (laughs) (laughs) And you found Geek Watch 1, uh, the Origins Edition. Yes, the Origins. Vicky and I survived Origins, kind of. If you guys will notice, Vicky is not here with us tonight because she's actually in bed on her back because she basically threw out her back (laughs) at the last day of Origins after being on her feet and the amount of walking that's involved with Origins and stuff. We're we're gonna start a walking regimen to get us up to like doing a 5K before we can do Gen Con because Gen Con you, is supposed you know to be what? huge. Don and I actually uh, prior to our first big our first major convention, which was uh, Dragon Con, mm-hmm. uh, we we honestly we did we built up we we started walking and and just making sure that we because I mean Dragon Con was is over like five different hotels. And I mean, but we we had a taste of what that was like after going to Origins, because the the space that Origins was in is the one that we went to was huge, and there you there I'd never done so much walking in my life up oh, to yeah. that point, you know. Well, that and all the restaurants like afterwards, Origins is done at seven, or the vendors hall closes at six. So right. you go out to get dinner, but there there's only like one or two restaurants across the street. Everything else is three or four blocks away. And right. then you're walking that far away from your parking too, right? <laughs> so because you if you park right beside the convention center, you got to walk all that way back, right? Uh, was it last year? There was one day last year at uh, Gen Con, and I just couldn't do it. I was I, I said I can't walk all this, and I held a cab. <laughs> I didn't care. I did not care, and I and I held a cab. Uh, you know, sometimes you can't be a hero. <laughs> yeah. Well, Jesse was telling me that actually um, with Gen Con, the best way she found to do is you actually stay outside the city. You drive yeah. into whatever the farthest out parking spot is for the city, and then it's a $5 cab ride to, into the convention center. Yep. So you exactly. just ride into the convention center, do everything there, and then ride back out to your car and drive back to your hotel. <laughs> yes. Yes. And it, yeah, that exactly it. Uh, we figured that out on the last day, of course, but you know. <laughs> Well, this one, um, Origins actually expanded a little bit this year. I guess um, last year they didn't use the um, Hilton across the street. They actually had the, some stuff in the Hilton this year. They had the Hyatt Regency. Wow. The Hyatt is actually connected. That's where all the um, RPG stuff was. They actually had a film festival this year. Um, Vic and I weren't able to go to it, but they actually had and it was all sci-fi and gaming films and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't get a chance to do that because there's just all the stuff. <laughs> right. But um, 
you have to try you, you have to pace yourself. Yeah. You know, you can't do everything. I know Sunday, getting the last of the interviews was like I felt like a chicken with my head cut off and Vicky was running <laughs> around playing secretary, taking notes, setting up or making sure everything's ready for the next one. <laughs> yeah, it's uh you know, um my my last day my last day at uh Gen, at a Gen Con that I have one interview and I we had gotten into we, we had gotten into the city late and then I missed my interview. And so I was com- communicating with the guy through Twitter and he was tweeting to, so he was tweeting to Don. Don's tweeting to me and then I'm <laughs> tweeting with him. I was like, can you just like text each other or something? And, and we ended up he we ended up I ended up finding him at his uh he had a uh, a panel and so he made time for me after the panel and even after that the guy was so gracious we just continued to talk it was actually uh i can't think of his name now but he was uh the creator of uh of um suitor Su- yeah suitor james suitor james suitor that's okay, right yeah creator of uh, uh pathfinder oh awesome yeah and i mean he was so cool and so gracious and you know, he didn't have to do it. He didn't have to make time for me like that, but he did because he understood the crazy that is the cons. So, yes. You know. Well, and I'm, now you understand, too. Oh, partially. From what I've heard, Origins is not Gen Con by any stretch of the imagination. Right. No, no. You, you have, uh, it's an you introduction. Have, you have five weeks to, uh, to walk and to, uh, <laughs> prepare yourself. Prepare yourself. Walk around with a backpack in the heat. Get well, ready. I guess they said um, actually the the Gen Con this year is actually expanded into Lucas Oil Field too the sta- the football stadium. What? They're taking some of the wow. space there. So yeah, I thought so, I heard something about them, especially splitting off like the vendors and stuff to create more more um, gaming space within the main portion or something like yeah, that. Yeah, because you know we we just need more room to walk. It's <laughs> <laughs> more guys, stuff to see and hey, do. Gamers are known for their physical fitness. Yeah. <laughs> although, although, see, now when you leave Lucas Oil, there's a, there's a, and I found out about this coming back, there's an area that apparently has nonstop parties that I completely missed. How did you miss that? I, I, cause I, they were nonstop and you missed them? I, cause <laughs> I was so, I was so focused on doing, uh, on being the journalist and getting all the interviews and then getting wowed by all the gaming stuff. And then finding out that there was all these crazy parties going on. Well, you were there for business. Yeah, I was there for business. But no, <laughs> I know that parties are business too. That's right. Well, um, <laughs> before we get too much go, because this origins is going to be pretty much the entire show. But we yeah, do have some is. sad news, and um, everybody at this point has heard this. We want to give our a little bit of our thoughts on um, the passing of Anton Yelchin, who played um, was playing Chekhov in the reboot Star Trek films. Uh, it yeah. was what Saturday night, I believe, or Sunday. Uh, was it Saturday? I think it was night? late Saturday it was night. Sunday. So it was Sunday. It was okay. Sunday. The news broke on Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we don't. None of us personally knew him, but um, and the only and I knew him. I remember he pl- him from Chekhov. But what else did he play? Do you remember? There was something else geek wise he played. He was Odd Thomas. Okay. And what? Yeah, it was um based on the Dean Koontz books. Oh, okay. It was it was kind of like a psychic kind of character. Ah, okay. So, um, I, I don't know what, what else to really say about it. Just to, um, let everybody know that it happened and, um, it's going to suck. It's going to be interesting to see where they go with it from here, having to either recast or just let the character go. He was, I mean, 
you know me, I'm not a Trek fan in yeah. the least, but I've seen the movies. He was adorable. Like it's kind of like that the Chekhov character is kind of like that anyway, but yeah. he was he was awkward and but you know portrayed the smart side and right. he was just adorable as the character. See, you, che- Chekhov is important and I think I, I I can't see them. I mean, it wouldn't be Star Trek without Chekhov. Well, but, something that just dawned know. on me. Um but, if you think about it, Looking at just these reboot films and what the character that Anton played here as Chekhov, he was the R2-D2 of these films. He was the Swiss Army knife in the cache because something needed done. He's like, I can fix this, and he run off and do it. Right. And something yeah. else would happen. I can fix it. For some reason, he could do every job on the ship. I don't know why, yeah. but <laughs> as the um, navigations and weapons officer, he knew how to do every job on the ship for some reason. Well, you know, it's, kind of, it's funny because they almost – they kind of changed his character with uh, – Scotty, because in the original series, Scotty was the one that could, you know, Scotty was the chief engineer, but he was all he was also over uh, security, and you know, and, all, and you know, he he could, you know, with some duct tape and a paperclip, he could uh, get a get a dilithium crystal to, you know, do do its magic. And just remember, but, uh, like like he said in um, what was it, Star Trek Three. We'll cle- beat those Klingons, even if I have to get out and push. <laughs> exactly. So, well, and and interestingly, apparently, um, you know, he, the new Star Trek is coming out. He's in that. Yeah. And he he has apparently like a couple other movies that he finished. Ooh, okay. As well, so Man. like even into one that's in 2017. So, Ooh. I mean, you'll still be seeing him at least. Yeah. You know, can appreciate his work that way. Right. So. Um, there, oh, you know what? There is there. There was something that we were remiss in not mentioning last week, and I just want to take a moment to say it now. Um, that uh, you know, we're thinking about the people in in Orlando, and what happened was terrible. Is you know, and I just want you guys to know that you know our thoughts are with you, and you know we're all one community. Doesn't matter you know what we're into, what we're not into. We're all standing together. We're all with you in this. Okay. Just want to take a moment to say that. Okay. Um, now that we've taken the show all the way down, we got to bring it back up hard. No, no, no that, that's positive, man. I know. That's unity. I know it is, that's, but they're both very negative events that happened. Right. Yeah, it, it is. It's and, a positive know, effect that can happen after this, but yes. we got to bring it to that positive somehow. Yes. Um, but one more thing before we get into origins is, um, let's get a little bit of show news. Um, we always do this at the very end and I'm one, I sometimes wonder how many people finish it, but we have t-shirts guys. Yes, we, do. <laughs> we always do it at the very yes, end. That do. way you can't skip it now if we put it in the middle of the show. So Ms. Gunn, <laughs> what do we know about t-shirts? We know a lot about t-shirts. Um, on T public, you just have to look for geek watch one. You'll find us. We have logo shirts. We have. One that says Geek Watch One ain't nothing to mess with. We have you can even even if you weren't at our Ravenwood Castle retreat, maybe you want the t shirt anyway. It's a commemorative t shirt. It's like it's like getting a, a t shirt from a band tour that you never saw tour. You want you might you want know, to exactly. get, right. get this Ravenwood shirt. Well I, a- <laughs> I saw Preston this weekend and he was asking where his shirt was. <laughs> he never gave us his size. We can't get him a shirt. Well then, <laughs> Preston, if you're listening, give us your size. We'll get yeah, you a shirt. Email us, tweet us, whatever. We'll send you a shirt, dude. Um, so yeah, it, it's our famous castle shirt. It says, uh, "I have a castle. Come at me, bro." <laughs> <laughs> Preston. 
Um, so uh, T Public recently had a sale for fourteen bucks for yes. the shirts. Yes, and we actually Vicky and so, I ordered our castle shirts. <laughs> oh, very good, very good. So, um, you know, T Public has a sale just about once a month. So uh, if you don't want to spend the twenty bucks, just wait till it goes back down to fourteen. I usually tweet when they're on sale. Go through our website, geekwatchone.com, the swag page. Click the link from there so we get a couple extra bucks as an affiliate. All that good stuff. And uh, also, get your, get what, your swag on. What I know is really cool is um, hoodies. Everybody loves to have a nice warm yep. hoodie, to, mm-hmm. especially when the um, fall. Now, right, not right now, because even here in Ohio, <laughs> it's 90 degrees. I don't know right. why it's 90 yeah. degrees yeah. in June, but it is. <laughs> To our listeners in Alaska, we yes. have hoodies available. But that's awesome. And thirty-five dollars. <laughs> upper Manitoba, Manitoba, right? That's right. Upper Upper Manitoba. Yes. Well, and and the guy Schenectady with the striped shirt. He's probably cold all the time. He's cold all the time. You can you need one of our hoodies. I'm still waiting for him to show up, man. I'm, I'm waiting. One for of him these to days. Show up. One of these days, one he's going to show up. Well, but hoodies, thirty-five dollars for a custom hoodie for something that's not bad. And they're good quality too. It's not like they're really thin and stuff like that. They're decent hoodies. They, yeah, I, yeah, well, they I are. Have, so I have the regular pullover hoodie. Vicky has a zip-up hoodie. They're both really well done. Um, a lot of times, it seems like with zip-up hoodies, they start to shrink a little bit and they don't want to zip the way they're supposed to zip. <laughs> well, this one right. has been washed multiple times and it's all it's still all good. So good to know. Um, oh, and we have tank tops too. I think they're only a couple bucks more or less or something than the tees. So there's tank tops. This is the time of year for tank tops. Get That's going to be less, wouldn't it? Because they got you know less material. Yeah, but they're less popular, so they don't order uh, them in bulk yeah. to make them. So it might be more. I'm trying to come up with a nerdy version of suns out, guns out, <laughs> and I can't come up with one. Get we'll get it. We'll get some. We'll, we'll, we'll get I'll put one of Kylan's ner- uh, geeky haikus on a shirt or something like that. Oh, oh no! <laughs> don't write it right oh. now. Take some time and write this one, Kylan. Uh huh. You put it I on the will, back. I, I, Dude, I will, no, I will you know come what? up with you know, one thing I wonder, um, Miss Dawn, for you to look into: Does oh. T Public do embroidered polos? A polo with the little logo stuff. in the corner. I don't think they do embroidered stuff at all. I think it's all just screen print. That'd be something to look into, though. Just a polo, a nice I polo. Do, I do know a couple of places that do the embroidered stuff, so I can look in that. Okay, that's something to look into for the future, possibly. But um. And the other news that I know of that we have, um, I don't know if you guys have any more news for us, but um, remember, Odd Mall is two weeks away. Odd Mall is July 8th and 9th, and it's actually a Friday and Saturday. I'm not saying that wrong. It is from yep. 4 to 9 Friday night because it coincides with the Hudson um, Art Walk, right. which is a gathering in Hudson of all the different shops and things that um, all have sales at the same time to um, – Promote the art community in Hudson. Well, Oddmall is part of it this year. I actually talked to Gander Snitch the Goblin this weekend. He is looking forward to being there with us. He will be there oh, on no. the stage the entire time. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> if this is a good thing or not, but he I, will I be there. <laughs> G- G- Gander, you know, sometimes, I mean, I love Gander Snitch, but Gander Snitch scares me sometimes. Like, I, I, you never know what's going to come out of his I mouth. think you have to be careful that Gander Snitch doesn't get overheated. Well, we will have I I have <laughs> tents and we'll have plenty of cooling for him. I think. And, unless unless Gandersnitch wears tank tops, I don't know. That'd be interesting to see. <laughs> Short shorts and tank tops on, on well, a goblin. He goes to fairy festivals all the time, so I'm sure he's used to the heat. Oh, so. he's used to something. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a 
July 8th and 9th in Hudson, Ohio. Go to oddmall.info for all the information of all the different odd malls. Um, right. and actually coming up for the Toledo Odd Mall in October, I was, um, or actually it's more Con of the Cobb information. I was talking, Mark Bogner was, uh, talking to me this um today and we've got five or six network podcasts that are um real close to saying yes they will be there i mean they're just trying to get the details together so we should uh start working on a couple of uh podcasting panels then i guess it looks like it um and one of them a little tease is that um we're closer to getting a canadian podcast than we were last year oh really (laughs) okay all right that's an inside joke for ever, for just us, <laughs> and the listeners get to think, what? <laughs> if they've been paying close attention, they might get it. Yes. But, um, and then there's some, some that are closer to us that he hadn't even thought of that he's going to try to get a hold of. Cool. So, but it looks like, yeah, we're going to have an actual podcaster convention going along with it. Um, I, have we mentioned that on here before? Because I know that's official now. We, we've mentioned that there's going to be a bigger presence, but it's, it's a bigger podcast presence than we, initially thought anyway yeah exactly it's it's definitely growing yeah the well the tangent real quick the tangent network has been wanting to do something to get podcasters to come together and um con on the cob is the the perfect place for this so tangent is actually working with con on the cob to put a, a kind of a podcast convention with con on the cob so anybody yeah. out there who's another podcaster that may not have heard about this, let us know. And um, we we want to see all podcasts there. I don't care if you're on the network, if you're not on the network, if you're on ten other networks. That's all fine. We want to. It's all about everybody coming together and hanging out, having a good time, meeting each other, and um, helping co-promote everybody. Right. That's right. So um, I think that takes care of all the newsy type stuff. Do you guys have anything else? No, I think that's, I can't think of anything. That's it for now. Yeah. Well, let's go to, um, I actually have an email here that Origin sent me today. Oh, okay. Being part of the press. I guess 20, Origins 2016 had over 5,500 events scheduled that went off. Um, that's an increase of 35% from last year. Um, the show was expanded to Battelle Hall, which I guess wasn't usually used in the convention center. Also, it went to the Hilton downtown, and then there was events in area restaurants also. Um, the area had, or they had WizKids World Championships, national tournaments for Aiello, which makes, um, King of Tokyo and those type games. And, and Fantasy Flight Games had their national tournaments. Also, their regional tournaments for Mayfair, who does um, Catan and uh, um, a bunch of other games, Konami, Bushy Road, and um, Catalyst Battletech Open were all there. Um, also, there was um, a large Magic the Gathering 10K tournament. Upper Deck had a $2,500 Versus tournament. And um, Spoils Card Game, which I actually got an interview with the guys from Spoils, had a $2,000 tournament there. So this there was a lot of major tournaments there at the show this year. Um, let me see if there's anything else huge here. Uh, they said the badge sales was actually down by about 500 badges, but they went um, the turnstile attendance was at 52,561 this year. So that's just that's how many time people came through the door all the days. So it shows that the turnstile attendance was 8,700 more than last year. So there that basically means there was more people with multiple day badges. Than last year. Last year it was a lot. The other ones would have been the um, single day passes. Oh, okay, okay, gotcha. Right. So yeah, turnstile is how many times people would just walk through the door. The so um, and they said if they're down by five hundred, then I believe I read the number last year they were fifteen thousand badges sold. So they had fourteen thousand five hundred or right. approximately. Um, that's the numbers for Origins. And it said if you want to, um, they're actually also on the email list. They had you can start. 
getting your hotel rooms as of September 1st of this year, but that's neither here nor there for what we're doing. Um, but <laughs> Origins was amazing. Anybody who doesn't know, this is a convention that takes over downtown, or at least a section of downtown Columbus, Ohio, for five days, because it actually did start on Wednesday. Um, right. And we were lucky when we got there. We didn't realize that um, press passes, you have to get in line with everybody else. Mm-hmm. Oh. And when we got there on Wednesday, the line was from one end of the convention center. You know, you guys have been there before. So right outside the vendor hall is the main um, where you get your badges. Well, it went all the way down to the end of the convention center and was heading towards the door. Oh, jeez. So Vicky was about five hours back in the line. Just luckily, we were there to help out Andy and Greg to set up. And Andy, when he got his badges, get, happened to get our badges too. Oh, nice. <laughs> so Vicky, did, we didn't have to wait in five hours line. We were able to help them out. Um, Kylan, you, you'll appreciate this. We actually had Andy set up and done by 7 p.m. Really? <laughs> We were done and back at um, Glenn's house at 7 p.m. And he has a huge booth, too. Yeah. Uh, I have pictures. I'm going to send you a bunch of the pictures, Miss Dawn, so you can put them up on the Geek Watch One site. Yep. So, well, you know, with him with him having, because he had a corner he had a corner space yes. this time, right? Yes. That 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 does wonders. That probably make, made it easier to kind of set it up the way you guys did. But I, well, the other, the other so amazing I, thing that's going to blow you away um, at the end of the show, the show ended 4 p.m. on Sunday. We yeah. were we. I was in my car at 5:30. What? Damn. On my way home. How'd that happen? <laughs> Lots of people helping out. Glenn actually. Um, you guys know Glenn and Heather. Glenn was yeah, there because yeah. Andy. Uh, we stayed with him first first couple of nights, but um, he came over with a friend, and then it was me and Vicky and um, Andy and Greg and um, Heather. We just went at it and knocked it out. Oh, man, awesome. Plus, so, it makes it a lot easier when you're just focusing on Andy's booth and not the entirety of a convention that you're yes, trying to pull down. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> it is a that whole is lot true. easier. But, um, no, Gen Con was, or yeah, Gen Con Origins was amazing. Um, I got to, I connected with a lot of different companies and stuff. Not all, not only the ones I got interviews with here, but a lot of other ones also. There were some authors I wanted to get, I didn't get a chance. Um, I know there was one event that was happening. Have you guys played Robo Rally? I have not uh, played Robo Rally. Well, have you heard of it? Where you play robots and you're trying, you got to program them and the cards shift on the board to make the robots do different things? I've seen it actually. No, but I haven't played it, but I think I've seen it. There was a guy who actually brought a um, live action robot version of this. He actually made little Arduino robots that yeah. you program with the tablet beforehand and then they would go and do the things. Oh. Wow. It was awesome. I, I watched it. I wanted to get an interview with him. When I got over there to get the interview, he had already left for the day or for the oh, show. Geez. He left halfway through Saturday. So I'll have to find him at Gen Con. Also, um, I didn't. There's a guy who does amazing things out of. Out, you guys will see the pictures. There's a giant balloon. Ro- the theme of the year was robots. Well, he made okay. a 12 foot tall balloon robot with a little guy inside of it. Dang! All out of balloons. And I guess wow. He said um, he does Origins and Gen Con. Um, and it, for Gen Con this year, they're actually after they saw what he did last year there because they, usually they'll bring just him out. But he has right. a whole crew of people that do this with right. him. So he's got like 10 people he's taking with him to Gen Con to do this ginormous balloon sculpture. So I'm going to get the interview with him at Gen Con. There's a lot of guys, people like that that I was like, you know what? Gen Con's in a couple of weeks. I'll make sure I got these interviews and I'll get those interviews there. Right. <laughs> so um, Exactly. But it was uh, the first couple of days we were getting our bearings, played some promo, some games. We have a couple of review games that Geeksters we're going to bring to you after I get a chance to sit down and play with Dawn and Kylan. Um, but 
first thing, do you actually ready to get into the interviews or? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You've got a lot to get through. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <clears throat> the first one was actually, have you guys ever heard of the Spoils card game? It's been around for about 10 yeah. years. Yeah, I think I've heard. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's been, it's got a history that's up and down and I, I talked to the guys about it a little bit, but they're looking for the, to the future, not to the past as much. They talk about it a little bit in the interview, but, um, it's basically a magic style card game. It's a collectible card game. It's not always been though. Sometimes uh-huh. it, in its past, it's been, uh, um, what Glenn called a living card game, which is like your, um, Game of Thrones card games and some of those where the expansion packs, you know what's in them. But um, now it's a, actually a collectible card game again, and they had a major event there. We actually sat down with Ian, um, Cisco, and Chris, who are three of the heads, department heads for the spoils, and um, we'll th- listen to see what they said about it. Okay. Hey, Geeksters, we are here at Origins 2016 with the team from Spoils the Card Game. We're here with Cisco, Ian, and Chris. So, guys, let's uh, go just, who are you in the company that makes spoils? Let's start with you, Cisco. Well, I work in a marketing capacity for the spoils. I, uh, I'm the person who fans the flames of desire for the spoils card game. And Ian, what is your job here with spoils? I'm the director of operations, so I oversee the day-to-day operations and make sure uh, everything works correctly, and I also help with the lore. And Chris, what was your job here? I'm the director of R&D. Uh, I'm in charge of leading the team that's designing and developing the uh, product suites, uh, and uh, managing playtesting and orchestrating all of that to meet our deliverables and, and get exciting products out to the audience. Awesome. Well, most of, a lot of gamers that have actually been in the game realm for a while, especially with the card games, because um, through the years, I've played Magic since I told you guys earlier from 95, and there's been a lot of collectible card games that have come in, exploded, and disappeared. Spoils is one that's been around for a while. What, what's some of the history of this game that... Um, for spoils, right? Well, uh, spoils has survived mostly through dirty dealings and uh, scantily clad women in our cards. Um, no, that's not true. Actually, spoils uh, has a loyal fan base. Uh, yeah, as you said, a lot of people would know about spoils if they played Magic. Um, if it wasn't for Magic, we wouldn't have spoils. Um, spoils was developed from uh, pro Magic players and people who wanted a little bit more freedom, uh, a little bit more uh, uh, strategy in the gameplay. So, ten years ago. Um, when it was developed, it was it was for that purpose that you would have a resource-based fantasy card game, but that more appealed to uh, a, a more technical or seasoned player. Um, today, Spoils is, um, I don't want to say sim- simpler, um, but it's more streamlined. It's more uh, accessible to new players. Um, we have focused a lot on... The artwork, more so than we have in the past, where maybe the gameplay and uh, the, the competition was something that was most, you know, most of uh, the majority of the, the focal point of, of the business of spoils. Um, but today, it's uh, it's it's mostly about bringing in new players, and that's why we're here at Origins. Uh, we were at Origins last year. We won an Origins Award for uh, best trading card game, uh, fan favorite trading card game. Um, am I missing leaving anything out in terms of the history? Uh, that we want to talk about. Um, anytime anybody brings up the spoils history, they might rem- you know remember um, some of the competitive play or Gen Con from ten years ago. In fact, today you know we're here launching our Decade of Decadence box, and it's called the Decade of Decadence because of that ten-year longevity and history okay. of the game. Awesome. So, um, what now? We just the history, but what is spoils? The card game. I know. Um, 
Vicky and I got a chance to play it um, yesterday or the day before, and we had a blast playing it. And being long-term Magic players, I liked the fact that it was we could sit down and it felt familiar enough that it was easy to pick up, but it was different enough that it wasn't the same game. Like a lot of um, she played the gear, what was it, the Gear Workers or Gearsmith deck, and she, she loved Steampunk, so that was a perfect deck for her. But um, <laughs> awesome. So what what is the Spoils Card Game? It's a, it's a resource game. If you ever played any kind of uh, card game where you had to you know, manage resources in the form of uh, twilight tokens or mana, like in Magic, you you know to pay for the things, the creatures and the items that you uh, you know have in your deck. Um, if you've ever played Magic the Gathering, you can sit down and, and pick up the uh, the dynamic of spoils. Um, it's set in the world of Loridia, which is a uh, a, a twisted fairy tale kind of place, and I think that's why it appeals to so many different people. We have pirates, and we have you know streetwalkers, and we have you know elves, and we have robots, and we have a number of different things. But it's a fantasy card game that uh, a, a resource-based fantasy card game is a great way to explain it. Okay. Um, now this, unlike Ma- I keep going back to magic, but yeah, that's because that's where card games started. Absolutely. I mean, the, magic was the first collectible card game. So um, you guys don't have colors for your decks. Each, each deck is actually a different like profession or something. Is that similar, right? Yeah, those are called trades. And in the world of the spoils, in, in Loridia, no person would self-identify as that. It's a construct for the game. So if you're a soldier you, or um, someone who loves to fight, you are considered a warlord uh, for the purposes of the game. But if you were in the world of Loridia and you went up to somebody and said, oh, you're a warlord, they might be flattered, but they wouldn't necessarily say, oh, yes, that is my profession. Okay. But um, So you have the warlords, which are soldiers and dragons and anyone who likes to wage war. Uh, you have the bankers, which are literal fat cats and lawyers and tax attorneys or anybody that would rather have golds than anything else. Gearsmiths are elves that have been in puberty for all 5,000 years of their lives. So they like to build robots and pull pranks on each other, and that's all they do. Okay. Um, the arcanists are bowler hat-wearing uh, wizards who have commodified magic, but they don't really know what it's going to do, so they have all these strange rituals, and sometimes it makes them fly, and sometimes it means they grow extra arms. And the rogues are everybody else, street urchins and vampires and pirates and anybody who doesn't quite fit into society. Okay. What you said that we don't have like colors, yeah. you have those trades, and so when, when somebody first comes into the world of spoils, they, they tend to do so by one of those particular trades. Yeah. You know, bankers being my personal favorite. You know, yeah, I know. I played, I played the warlord deck yesterday. That was that was fun. Yeah, very cool. And uh, but we, we you can mix them, and that's uh, we we have uh, one thing in our game design that you don't have like in Magic the Gathering. We have a threshold, which is like the game balancer where you have to satisfy a certain threshold requirement in order to, to you know, mix the various trades together. Okay. Um, and actually, this one would be more for Chris. What goes into developing a new set for spoils? Yeah, sure. So um, it first has to be planned very carefully. There's a lot of history in the spoils, so you have to make sure that you're not going to introduce anything that would break anything that already exists. But then you also have to account for your future goals uh, and whatever you're planning to do in the future. So it has to be dynamic and exciting enough to not feel redundant as what we've already have, but it, it has to still be within the guidelines of existing cards. So in every card game, there's a, a wide variety of formats, um, and the spoil has also adopted formats uh, uh, for the same reason, because some cards are... 
some cards are older and harder to get. Um, so, and those cards, some of them are very powerful. And in some formats, those cards aren't legal. So sometimes you design cards specifically with those formats to support those formats in mind. So there's a, there's a lot of balancing and tinkering that goes on and tons of man hours between my, my team uh, okay. that I manage and, and as far as the design's concerned. Okay. Uh, one thing uh, that's uh, pretty unique to the spoils is that there's a lot of lore. So there's a you know there's an online comic there's a, there's a fi- you know fiction that's written and all this stuff kind of is all glued together in the card game itself. So Chris is always having to not only you know worry about the mechanics of the actual gameplay. He's also um, considering the characters and the lore centric qualities of the game to make sure that those things make sense too. Oh okay. So actually that was my next question was um, you could tell by looking at it that there is lore behind it like you were saying. I was going to that was my next question actually is are there books or anything written or you got plans on novels or but you just mentioned there's comics but what else do we have coming for the actual lore of this game? Well right now we have a, a quarterly comic that we release that's one per set. And we just completed the Unlikely Hero cycle in terms of releases. So Ungodly Mess was the last set in that cycle. Um, and the comic will, is forthcoming. Okay. So that will be out shortly. And that story was all about um, these uh, anti-heroes discovering that they have these secret items that give them super powerful dragons called Seraphim. And they have to stop uh, an Arcanist Lord from stealing a living god um, and so you have Shade of the Devoured Emperor, which is about them discovering that, and then Holy Heist, which is about the theft of the god, and then Ungodly Mess, which is about them blowing up the god and trying to stop it from wrecking the world. Uh, in terms of new content, we're working on some short stories that we'll be publishing online, um, but really we want to tell the story from the card game. That's where it really needs to live. Okay. So we're working on some mechanics that will exemplify uh, what is happening in the story and making it simple enough to understand what's happening when you pick up a starter deck and start playing, but rich enough that if you are interested, you can go online and find out more information. Awesome. And um, if people did want to check out the lore before they checked out the card game for some reason, um, where could you get the con- He said online. Is there any like physical comic you can get in the stores or anything, or is it all just at your website? It's free on our website. It's a PDF download. Oh, I, lo- I love free. Free is my favorite word. <laughs> but... Um, Especially looking at the comic books, you got right into my heart because um, myself and my partner all do comic book podcasts. So this that is awesome to be able to check that out. Um, so, actually, this probably goes back more to Chris and Ian anyway. What's uh, what's coming for the future of um, Spoils? Well, from a lore perspective, we're going to pick up 20 years after Ungodly Mess. So the god has been blown up, and everyone goes back to their ways. And in Spoils, everyone is corrupt in some way. So the world has progressed in such a such a terrible way where sin is rampant that these creatures called the revenants which are best described as robots robot steampunk angels come down from the sky to destroy everything and start new so you as a player will get to decide if you want to play the revenant deck which will be uh, more about destroying the other trades or if you want to be on the side of the you know we call them Essentially, everybody's a villain in this world. So do you want to be with them, or do you want to be with these robot angels? Okay. Which is a great dynamic, because the bad guys are actually going to become the good guys, because they're faced with bad guys who are actually good guys. You can follow. Interesting. That's what this art is depicting. So this is from our next set. These are some of the revenants. Cool. And the artwork is beautiful. Do you guys have just a certain artist? Do you have like a range of artists that you actually get to have done the art for you? 
we've commissioned artists from all over the world to do various pieces. So okay. this is one of our favorite artists, Godfrey Escoda. Um, he's done some of our most iconic pieces from the history of the game. Awesome. Um, so, Vicky, did you have any questions while we're sitting here? Oh, I'm, I'm just interested. I can't wait. I want to read the comic and learn more because this... This is going to be fun. Oh, yeah. We picked up a bunch of the cards this weekend, so we're definitely going to be playing this sitting around the table. But um, before we get to the end of this, was there anything else we haven't touched on that you guys wanted to bring up or talk about here? Well, you asked about the future of Spoils, and yes. I talked about the lore, and I'd like Tris to talk about gameplay. Oh, yeah. Sure. So uh, shortly we're going to be introducing a, uh, a newer format called Cycle, uh, and that format is supposed to be... Uh, it's designed to have uh, an easy uh, entry into constructed tournament play for the spoils um the idea is um we've just released a uh, new product at origins or we pre-released a product at origins this year and it'll be available at gen con uh called uh, the decade of decadence uh and that is the first product going into our new format called cycle um so instead of having to concern yourself with purchasing a bunch of uh older product that might be difficult to find uh for the, the various existing formats um we're making it easier for players uh, to get in and play at, at the competitive level and at the casual level. And our, our, our new product, the Decade of Decadence, uh, is actually uh, has two copies of each card in the set. So if you buy two of them, um, it's a, it's a, you've acquired a playset without having to go through buying all of the uh, randomized booster packs and, and things okay. like that. So it's a, it's a very enticing offer for, for newer people to the game. Uh, and it's, it's also a uh, standalone uh, draftable product, very akin to uh, cubes, if, if you guys are familiar with cubes, magic cubes and stuff okay. like that. Yeah, very similar. So it's a very fun uh, draftable set that also doubles as the core set for the next cycle. Uh, and we're really excited about that. Have you ever played in a magic cube, either of you? Not the cube, no. Well, cube, the concept of a cube is that, um, you know, you have this rich history of magic with all these powerful cards that you don't often get to play. So players made this format where it's all the best cards in the game together, and you make your own booster pack. So you set aside however many cards come in a booster pack, and you draft with it like a booster draft. So you pick one card and add it, and you pass it, and then you build your deck. That's what we've done with the Decade of Decadence. So to celebrate the history of spoils, you have 67 reprints from the most powerful cards in the history of the game, plus 89 brand new cards to really shake it up. So as a new player, it's perfect because you can get very easy entry points. Two of those products cost $80, and you get a play set of almost powerful cards in the game. It's a core set for our new cycle format. And if you're a veteran player, you get to see some of your favorite stuff come back from the past, and you get to play with brand new cards as well, with new, more fuller art cards. Okay. Yeah, I'd like to talk, um, you know, and ask all of your listeners who are, you know, listening to the, you know, what we're talking about here today is to go to their local stores, and if they don't have spoils, ask about getting their own Victor's Organized Play Kit. We provide them with, you know, free posters, window clings, play cards, and promo cards so that they can get spoils fired up on a casual level and a fun level in the stores, and it's no cost, and they can just, you know, ask for that from our website. Awesome. Um, the other one, this really doesn't help you guys, but um, it, it's about the growth of the game. Um, have you found, is there, um, since the game's been around for a while, is there an aftermarket for the cards, as there are with Magic and Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh! and such? Have you d seen that anywhere? Uh, there is, yeah. Um, we have partnered with uh, a few websites um, that have started selling singles. Uh, one of our 
partners is Alter Reality Games in uh, Medina, Ohio. Yes, I, I know Alter Reality. There's a couple oh, of nice. stores around the area. Very nice. Yeah, they're, they're, they're a great company, and we do our $1,000 Victor Circuit Series with them okay. uh, all over the country. Then um, there's a couple coming up. One is in Orlando and one is in Philadelphia. Um, and there's, I think there's one more in Rhode Island at the end of the month. They sell singles. Okay. Um, there's another site called Clockwind Card Vault and a few others out there. And you can find them all over, really all over the Internet. Okay. We found that a large part of our secondary market tends to come uh, come from where there's a concentration of card gamers in general, where people are playing spoils and, you know, competitive play. So at those a- around those ARG events and the people that are involved with those, they've been, you know, a big part of uh, what we're doing with our secondary market. Okay. Well- so that was Spoils the Card Game. Um I'm excited about this. Vicky and I, like I said, we played the demo that they had there. They give you a, um, a, they actually were just giving people a demo deck to play with, a 40 card demo deck. You learn how to play it. Um, and then, well, in the coupon book, they had a thing, a uh, coupon for if you played the demo, you got a free play mat. Well, oh, cool. someone in the office made a mistake and didn't order enough play mats. So they were actually giving out a 12 pack booster box for the coupon. Oh, nice. So nice. we got 24 packs and then we bought, um, for twenty dollars, you could actually buy a, um, a gift box set, basically of all five of the demo d- sets and some foil cards and some just general stuff like that. So we bought, so we put twenty dollars into it, but we have plenty of cards to learn how to play this and stuff. But anybody can, can go to www.thespoils.com to get all the information, read the comics, and um, check out this game. Sounds good. Awesome. So um, the next one is actually someone who should be familiar to our listeners. We actually. Um, interviewed him a couple of months back, Michael Whitwer, author of Empire of Imagination. I talked to him a little bit about the book because he was actually there to do a panel on Gary Gygax and his Empire of Imagination, um, which was like an abbreviated version of a lot of the stuff that was in the book. We we talked a little bit about the book because the paperback just came out um, like a couple weeks ago. Um, We talked a lot about Origins because he's never been there. He's been to a lot of the other huge conventions like Gary Con and Gen Con. He's there all the time. And all right. these other ones, but he had never been to Origins before. Also, he gives us a little bit of a tease and a spoiler of his next project. Welcome back to Origins 2016. I'm actually standing here with Michael Whitwer, author of Empire of Imagination. Now, you guys have heard he's been on the show before, but this is the first time I've actually met you face-to-face. Hi. Hey, Ken. Pleasure to meet you face-to-face, man. It's awesome to see you. Awesome. Um, now, you were here giving a... Um, presentation on the book and we've covered the book a lot but um you said you've never been to origins before this is my first time at origins i i'm one of those guys that knows a lot about origins as a result of my my study and history of gaming but no i've never been to origins been to gen con many times and gary con and many other cons but not origins but what was your impression of origins yeah so i would say that you know one thing i really like is that it's uh it feels a lot calmer to me which is something i need in my life in general is a lot calmer than say a gen con a um, little bit more open space, if you will. Uh, you know, Gen Con tends to be a lot of people um, and certainly not, not very much space, but a very different feel, too. I mean, I think, uh, you know, it, it'd be hard to even compare them, really, because Gen Con has got such a high energy and, and kind of a crowded, almost um, uh, almost parade-type atmosphere, whereas this uh, feels very more space, I, I think a little bit more chance to kind of learn the games if you don't know them at the various booths. So it's a very different feel. I mean, definitely a, a good place for both of them in the market. I'm glad they're both going strong. Yeah, well, actually, speaking of that, de- I've looked at just about every game company here has a demo space at their booth to try out their games. Right, Right. yeah, th- that's exactly what I was thinking as well. It's just that it seems like this is a good opportunity to learn new games and to see stuff. Not that Gen Con isn't, but Gen Con admittedly is, is almost so overwhelming with the number of people 
um, the uh, the cosplay aspect, every other part of Gen Con, that I think it makes it a little bit harder to want to sit down and actually learn, take the patience to learn something. Well, um, before we get, I'm going to get into Empire Imagination a little bit, but actually we're standing here at the Osprey Games booth. Now, what is your affiliation with Osprey Games? Uh, yeah, so Osprey is owned by Bloomsbury, Bloomsbury Publishing, which of course is the parent company that um, that originally published Harry Potter in the UK. Um, and uh, not terribly long ago, Bloomsbury b- uh, bought Osprey, and Osprey has been around for a long, long time since the '60s uh, when they were doing, or maybe even earlier than that. But I know in the '60s when they were doing a lot of their um, uh, f- fundamental um, wargaming miniature stuff and some of these books that we're standing next to that have to do with. Um, the uniforms of, of military groups and things like that. Osprey's been around forever uh, since the earliest days of wargaming miniatures. And so it's really cool that um, this is the company that's now owned by a group that's publishing my book about Gary Gygax, who, of course, was very into Osprey in his day. Okay. And actually, getting into that, your book about Gary Gygax, how has that been, um, now that you've had some time um, since we've talked to you last time, and the, the, the convention circuit has picked up now since then, um, how's the reception been so far when you're going to all the i know you go to comic cons and such all the time how's it been re, how's people been reacting to it uh, to, to the book in particular yeah um i i will say that it's been so far beyond my expectations i can't even really believe it um the uh the book has been well firstly it's been very successful uh from a sales standpoint uh which is great although I, admittedly that's not really my motivation i mean i, I would have done it for free I won't tell my publisher that, but no, I mean, but truly, this was a labor of love. I, I didn't write this thing to be a book originally, as I've talked about before. And so the fact that it's, you know, A, gotten published, B, it's, it's sold really well, and C, uh, the gamers that have read it seem to just love it. Uh, and that's who I wrote it for. I, it was written by a gamer for gamers, and that seems to be who it's really resonating with. And that, that makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, that's exactly the people I'm speaking to in this case. And then I know you just released the paperback. Has it been picking up like the hardcover did? Uh, yeah, well, it's a little bit different. I mean, there's, you know, the paperback rollouts, they're so different because you don't get the benefit of things like NPR and all that stuff that we had with the hardcover, the, the first rollout. So it's kind of a secondary push um, that's um, that's going great as far as I know. I mean, I won't see sales figures for probably six months yeah. on the paperback. But the truth is um, I'm, I'm nuts about the product we were able to put together. Um, we got John Romero, the Doom co-creator, to write a foreword. Which for me really ties together this whole concept that D and D and Gary is much bigger than the sum of its parts. It was foundational to things like first-person shooters, Doom and Wolfenstein, uh, things they were doing at id Software because they were playing the game and they got a lot of their ideas out of their existing campaign. So um, for me, it's very gratifying to be able to put a forward like that. That kind of ties together a big element I talk about at the end of the book, which is how far-reaching D and D really has been. Yeah. Uh, well, we've talked about this last time you were on the show. How much the, um, I love that part of the book where. You can tie a lot of things, like the concepts from Facebook. Um, well, a lot of Facebook and what was MySpace, and even going into the Wii with the Mies. A lot of that is stuff that you can get. The idea was in Dungeons Dragons originally. Hey, absolutely. I mean, so many of these these really unbelievably um, innovative concepts came from the tabletop, and they're showing up in all these different places. And it's it's not coincidence. Um, you start to talk to people that built the foundations of the information age, whether it be first-person shooters, or, or whether it even be, um, you know, I was talking to, uh, I was on a panel with uh, Christian Rudder not too long ago, and he was the co-founder of OkCupid, which, okay. of course, is a social dating site. And it was entirely unsurprising to me when, you know, again, some of the concepts and some of the character-building aspects, you might say, of setting up your profile, totally unsurprising to me that Christian Rudder was a D&D fan, huge one. 
and he still plays to this day. And again, that's just one example of, of a lot of people that were really inspired by this game, and now these concepts that used to be unique to the tabletop are showing up in ways that that uh, today's pop culture wouldn't necessarily understand it unless you grew up playing D&D. Yeah. Well, actually, talking about people playing D&D, it's surprising because actually in the um, media, in the, because D&D is becoming even more mainstream than it ever was before, um, you're seeing a lot more like Hollywood. How many people in Hollywood are actually admitting to um, people like Vin Diesel, your brother, obviously, yep. but um, Vin Diesel, um, Jason Mewes, all these guys that have huge gaming groups that are all A-list celebrities right. playing Dungeons & Dragons. It's been around for years, and um, in the 80s was known as a satanic game that's going to ruin your children's lives. Right. <laughs> no, I mean, to, to that point, I mean, and we've talked about you know that part before with, like, say, a Juno Diaz talking about it's an apprenticeship and storytelling, you know, the, the great author. Um, but, I mean, the list goes on and on and on in terms of people that really grew up playing this game and grew up in this culture, and they it fostered their imagination. I don't know how else to really think about it. And, again, I mean, I, I don't know if it's fair for me to make that direct connection, but most of them say it outright, right? Like a Vin Diesel says, oh, yeah, like this is where we learned a lot of our early storytelling and whatever. Um, and so the list is very long, and it's a very exciting list. When you think about the kind of people that are now in charge, the Judd Apatos, the people like that, yeah. who are directing big movies and are, are creating shows, these are guys that were growing, growing up playing D&D, and that's why when you watch like a Freaks and Geeks and the last episode closes with a session of Dungeons and Dragons, you're like, wow. You know, uh, that's clearly pointing to something that was very, very formative for people that are very important these days. I know I didn't want to keep you too long today, but um, can you talk about a little bit of what you got coming up in the future at all? Just a little tease or something. You don't have to give us anything that is too far along. No, absolutely. Well, uh, firstly, uh, with regards to the, uh, the existing book and yeah. the kind of what's going on right now, we were talking about Origins and Gen Con. Um, this, this is a great event. I love Gen Con. I mean, I'm, I'm very passionate about Gen Con, and I, I know Peter Atkinson very well, the owner. And uh, we're doing a really neat panel. I mean, a really kind of a one-of-a-kind panel at Gen Con coming up um, called um, Here There Be Dragons, which has to do, which is actually a bunch of the, the top RPG historians. I'm lucky to even be on the panel, but I'm not really one of the top guys. I mean, people like John Peterson, Paul Stormberg, and, of course, even Peter Atkinson himself, who has a ton of background. He's not only a, a scholar, but he's part of the story, as it were, having founded Wizards of the Coast. Yeah. Um, so, firstly, that's coming up with Gen Con, so I highly recommend that to anyone that's going to be there. And then moving forward, uh, yeah, I am working on a new book okay. that, uh, that has to do with um, Walt Disney and the founding of Disneyland, actually. Going along the same lines, you know, it sounds like a big departure from Gary, but really, we're talking about other people that were imaginers and other people that were... Now, that's awesome. Sorry, Geeksters. We're, we're sitting right beside us is three Rocketeers. <laughs> that is awesome. It's amazing. You know, incidentally, I fell in love with Jennifer Connelly when I first saw the Rocketeers. So, so I, I never oh, yeah. forgot that, yeah. Uh, but no, so, uh, it, you know, honestly, I'm very interested right now in the great innovators of the 20th century. And Gary certainly was that to me. And um, getting a little bit broader on it, I mean, Walt Disney, I mean, how much can you even say about the, the things yeah. that he did? So it's actually a natural connection, even though it's not in the gaming space per se. Yeah, Disney is another one that has so many stories around him that you never know exactly what was real, what wasn't real. Because you only get, like you said with Gary's stories, you always got this guy's story or this guy's story or this guy's, and they're totally different stories. Right. Right. It's certainly a challenge with, um, well, I mean, with, with any any type of, of very important events that have happened, say, in the last well, I mean, I guess you, 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 you could stretch this back all the way back to Herodotus, really. But, but um, no, truly, I mean, so Disney's a, a really interesting story because there are a handful of people, first of all, that are still around that were there, right? So you can get some really interesting first-person accounts of people that were 
were uh, actually on the ground floor that, that can give you their own personal account. I've never heard before stories. But then going to its logical conclusion, um, Disney has become a institution. He's not even a person anymore, right? Um, or and, and, you know, that's the funny thing is that happened even during his life. Even during his life, uh, he was already bigger than some of his parts. His own studio, he felt like he was a prisoner to his studio, to his name, a lot of other things about him. So even Disney understood his own legacy to a certain extent by the t- before he passed away in 1966. So um, to your point, even a lot of the first-person accounts start to get very muddy, and you don't really know what was, what is kind of um, fiction that was kind of created after the fact and what's real. And then there's this big database of archives and stuff. Can you get access to those? And that's still a lot of questions to be answered, really, in terms of what we can and can't get. But it's, it, I mean, it's a topic I'm very passionate about. I think there's some real big surprises in the history of him and, and of Disneyland in particular. Well, if... The Gary Gygax bio and the way you got the information and you actually wrote that, it's any indication that I think it's going to be a phenomenal um, look at Disney and him creating Disneyland. No, thank you. I mean, again, I'm really excited about it. I would use a, a fairly similar treatment, I think. Definitely something in the narrative nonfiction space. Um, but, you know, obviously appropriately so and obviously very appropriate to context and to, you know, a lot of hard-based, you know, frankly, hard research. I mean, that's what it really requires because Disney's space, unlike Gary, Disney is a space where there's been tons of books about, tons of research about. So uh, it'll be just that much harder to get to, to get down to the real scoop of what, what really happened. Um, but it's all there. I mean, again, these people are still around, and they're they're ripe for uh, for interviews and stuff like that. They'll talk to you. So oh, that's fantastic. Do you have a general time frame of how long until you actually want to have this finished? A general idea. I know that it's hard to do that. But do you have a goal for yourself of when you would like to see this out? Uh, you know, it'll probably take, um, I mean, you know, the, the Gygax book took three years uh, from beginning to end. Um, I've got some parts of my process worked out a little bit cleaner these days. So I think realistically, it might take two years to write. Um, or, you know, maybe we can get it out in two to two and a half years if we're really lucky and we, we do a lot of stuff on the parallel track. Um, so we'll see. Well, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty early stages, I have to admit. How can people get a hold of you if they actually had questions or they wanted to see, find your books and such? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, Ken, again, well, first of all, thank you for having me on the show again. I uh, love the show. Totally awesome to meet you in person. Um, with regards to the book, Paperback just came out. Great new forward by John Romero. It's available in audiobook. Uh, my, my brother, Sam Whitworth, the actor, uh, does the reading, which I'm, I'm really excited about. And then, of course, there's the hardcover out. Um, you can find on the book on Amazon or any of the major um, any, any major bookstores or online. For me, you can always find me at empireofimagination.com or on Facebook or Twitter. So that was um, talking to Mike. Actually, that sounds like an awesome project, him doing the, um, the Disney project after this. Yeah, that sounds like one that I'm actually going to go ahead and read when it comes out. <laughs> I, well, I, as I told him, I like the way he um, <clears throat> wrote the Gary biography. That it, it was like each chapter he was just telling an individual story. So, I mean, he had to obviously fill in some gaps on little things here and there, but um, everything he he did, he actually ran by the family and the people who knew Gary to make sure that even if it wasn't an exact fact that he had heard specifically, it was something that makes sense that would have happened right there. Right. I think what interests me about his uh, his Disney project is, you know, he mentioned that there's so many books out there about Walt Disney anyway, so he's actually looking to put a different spin on it and get some new information out there and something a little different. So, like, I've read a bunch of the books, and uh, so it'll be interesting to see what he comes out with. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing him again. He'll be at Gen Con and other places, so it was just great to meet him in person. Um, the You're next... just going to be buds with him and, like, hang out and hey, go for dinner. that's fine. And actually, <laughs> th- there may be Con on the Cob news at some point. But, yeah, because I thought he said maybe possibly. 
We'll see. But maybe. So, um, but the next I'll one, Kylan, I think you'll be a little excited on this. Don't you have Pandemic? Don't you? Or do you like I the game, if nothing else? Oh, I love the game. I he's, love the he's, game. He's played it, and he you ran it at Con on the Cob. I ran it. Well, yeah, I ran it Con yeah. on the Cob. Yeah. You understand how many how many small little itty bitty pieces come with that, correct? Yes. Well, the next one, the next interview I have is Greg. He's the president and founder of a company called The Broken Token. I don't know if you've okay. ever heard of these guys. They actually make <laughs> game box um, organizers. Oh, nice. Oh, okay. So we'll let Greg actually tell you about it. I am sitting here with Greg. You're actually the president and founder of Broken Token, correct? That is correct. Awesome. Well, what is the Broken Token? Well, we are a company that creates accessories and storage solutions and organizers for board games. We also do upgraded components and things that you can add to your game to kind of improve it, kind of like building your own collector's editions versions of the games that you love. But we're really known best for the organizers and storage solutions. Okay, and uh, there's anybody who's out there who's played a lot of these more modern, um, bigger board games that usually are a pricier board game, you see there's 900 little pieces that come with every one of them. And every time you open the box, you have to totally organize the whole thing because it's all just kind of jumbled together there. Yeah, yeah. So when did you guys get into this and start building organizers and things? Well, I mean, it really kind of started just over two years ago, and I never really, I wasn't, didn't have the intention to start a board game accessory company. I just was sort of building things for myself, stuff that I wanted to see. Um, I'd made foam, foam core inserts before. Obviously, people have been doing that for a long time, uh, but nobody was really bringing anything to market that you could just purchase if you didn't feel like doing it yourself. Not to mention when you work with wood and laser cutting, you can do a lot of cool things that you can't really do with foam core. So um, I was doing some work at a maker shop using a CNC router, and I started learning the laser and immediately thought, man, I could do some pretty cool accessories with this. But again, I was just kind of making stuff for myself and my friends and uh, ended up posting some pictures on a Board Game Geek group, and a bunch of people were like, I would totally buy these. So <laughs> up went a little web store, and that's kind of how we got started. So yeah, it, it was a small kind of home-based business in the beginning, but there was obviously such a big demand for this kind of product that I was turning out designs as fast as I could at that point. And uh, that was that was two years ago, and we've just been on like a nonstop kind of growth route since then. Awesome. So what are some of the um, games that you actually build the accessory boxes for? Well, we've got... We, we hit all the popular ones. I mean, we really listen to what our customers are asking us for. So we get the requests. We kind of keep a list of what people are asking for and then tackle them as soon as we can. And some of our more popular organizers are for games like Seven Wonders because it has four expansions. And we, with our organizer, have been able to get it to so that you can hold all the base game and the four expansions in the base box. So that saves you a ton of shelf space, too. So um, that's really one of the advantages of the system. And then we've got one for Lords of Waterdeep and Dead of Winter. And we've probably got them for 50 to 60 games now. And, um, you know, one of the more recent releases is Blood Rage by Cool Mini or Not. We've also got an organizer for Pandemic, and we just released a big crate. It's actually called the Big Damn Crate, and it holds everything from Firefly. And it's a standalone storage unit. It replaces all the boxes, and it has room for all the components from the game. Awesome. So, um... You said you've been at this for two years. Is it, how, have you been to Origins for more than just this, or is this your first time bring, bringing your products to Origins? It's our, actually our second year at Origins. Um, so, but you know, we've had really great response both years here at Origins, and uh, we're going to be at Gen Con next. So we were, we were hitting the con circuit pretty good last year, 
but we've had a much busier time this year. We're doing more kind of smaller and medium-sized conventions, and we're going to be uh, in Essen this year as well. So we really, I think we're doing something like 17 shows this year. Awesome. Um, another thing with um, that we ask a lot of people that we first meet is, um, what's your geek? I mean, you build <laughs> you build game boxes, yeah. and but what is it that you actually geek out about that you have a good time with? I have a lot of geek. I have so many hobbies. I mean, I, I the reason I was even in the shop when I first started building these game organizers is because I was designing uh, my own quadcopter frames from from scratch, and I was cutting those on a CNC out of carbon fiber. So I love technology. I've been a software developer for 20-plus years. Um, before I started doing the Broken Token full-time, I worked at Sony Online Entertainment, was the lead programmer on EverQuest 2. So I, I geek over board games, I mean, sorry, video games, board games, uh, tons of hobbies when it comes to technology, radio control, computer stuff. So, I mean, like, I, I, I've spread my hobbies very thin. I don't have enough time for all the things that I love to do. <laughs> oh, we, know, we understand that. Um, so you said... Um, you were already working on um, doing this stuff for yourself and your friends, but yeah. how did you actually design a box when you get when you get a um, when you get a board game out and you see these nine hundred pieces? How do you go about actually designing something that'll work in that space? Well, it all starts with getting to know the game. Obviously, we we play the games a bunch of times, and if, if it's a new game, so we we learn the rules. We play it a bunch of times. We want to learn, you know, what what pieces do you only use during setup, and what pieces are you playing with throughout the game, uh, and that helps us decide how we want to organize it do we want to you know what do we want to make a tray to hold these that you're going to leave on the table or can it stay inside the box because you're only going to get them out in the beginning so we get really familiar with the game and then then it becomes kind of like once we know the rules and we know how we want to organize it then it's like this game of tetris to figure out okay how do we want to design the organizer so that it all fits in the box some games have plenty of space and it's not an issue and then there are other games when it's you question whether or not you can even get it all in the box so uh it really just depends on the complexity of each game um but we sit down we do you know first drafts and prototypes and then we just kind of iterate on that if the prototype doesn't work we go back to the computer make changes and cut another prototype and then we just kind of repeat that process until we're happy with what we've got and then of course we play test those prototype organizers in the games and until we're happy with the way that those work. And then when we are all kind of happy with it, then it becomes a product. Okay. <laughs> and it's time to make the instructions and do all the other things that have to happen before we can make it a real product. That's awesome. So basically you play a whole lot of games while you're doing this, huh? We do. I mean, that is one of the benefits of the uh, of the job is that I can expense all of my board games. So that's, that's pretty awesome. And so, yeah, we do play a lot of games. And I'm also fortunate that we have a couple of different designers on staff now. So sometimes we split up the projects. And while, you know, while Derek's working on Firefly, I'm working on Blood Rage. And I might not always get a chance to play every game that we get out, but I try to at least get back to and play it at some point. <laughs> so, okay. yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. What is your newest game? Because I believe you were de debuting a game here, wasn't you? A box yeah. for it? Yeah, our new release for Origins was the Pandemic box that we call the Biohazard Containment Unit. Okay. <laughs> and it stores everything from the four Pandemic expansions into one box. That's not for Pandemic Legacy, if you're familiar with that. This is for the base Pandemic game, as well as the three expansions, which are... Uh, on the brink, in the lab, in state of emergency, I believe. Okay. Those come with a lot of components. They have Petri dishes and vials and about an inch deep of game boards and a ton of cards. And those boxes come in very – those games come in very shallow boxes. There's just absolutely no way – 
to carry that game around unless you're carrying multiple boxes. So we've created an entire wooden uh, box that replaces the game box and holds everything beautifully. So that's okay. it. since it released this week at Origins, it's available on our website there if anybody wants to go take a look at it. Okay, well, and actually you're talking about the game box a lot. Most of your organizers are actually designed to fit in the original game box, correct? Yes. yes. That's really, I mean, we initially shoot for that. That A lot of people refer to those as inserts because you assemble them. They get inserted into the core game box. The nice thing about that is it keeps the cost down because you're using the cardboard box of the game. It looks good on the shelf because you can immediately identify it. But there are a lot of games that unless we can, you know, bend space and time and, and break the rules of physics, that you just can't get those components into the box. And Firefly is one of those. Arkham Horror, uh, Descent. There's a ton of games out there that have grown way beyond the size of any uh, box that they come in. And in those cases, we are looking at designing our own storage solution that holds everything. And we're, we're calling that our Craftsman series, which is basically not only the insert but an external box to hold it all. Okay. And um, do you know have any, any idea off the top of your head about how many games you actually have organizers for, I'm, approximately? Yeah, it, it, it's tough because some of our organizers work for many different games. So I'm, I'm thinking it's somewhere around 50 to 60 games right now that we have organizers for. Uh, we have an insert that works for Fantasy Flight LCGs, and there's something like, I think, eight LCGs out. So that's one organizer, but actually works for eight different games. Okay. So when we talk about actual games, it's a pretty big number. And sometimes games come out, and our customers will go, hey, look, we just, we're using Organizer X in Game Y, and it's perfect. That happened when Ashes came out. We had just released our organizer for Imperial Settlers, and somebody had bought it and said, these components look very similar to Ashes, and they, in the organizer fit perfectly and they were like look i'm using this for ashes and then we this happened at gen con we had a rush of people coming over buying settlers organizers to put in their ashes boxes. Nice. so that kind of stuff happens all the time too it's pretty cool cool so um if the geeksters were have some of these board games and are having these issues um do you actually well you said you um check when people are asking for things but do you do any like custom work if someone's like hey well i really need an organizer for say heroescape that's been gone for eons right. but if so uh, Say any other game that you don't make yet, do you do custom work for them also? We, we unfortunately haven't gotten into custom work. And it, it's basically, it just comes down to numbers. I mean, it takes us, you know, 20 to 40 hours to design an organizer. And if we were only going to sell one of them, you could imagine what we'd have to charge for it to recoup the cost. So we haven't really found a way to do anything super custom yet. We do custom engraving on boxes. Now, we have some card boxes and other things that are somewhat generic, and we can do really cool custom artwork and, and text and stuff on boxes for people. We've made stuff for birthdays and anniversaries and put custom messages on it. So in that way, we can do some cool customization. But when it comes to actually designing like an entire insert or storage solution, it just takes too long for us to do uh, one that that might only sell a handful. So we kind of really look at what people are suggesting and and tackle the ones that seem to be getting the most you know requests. Okay. Um, well, before we're finished with you today, um, how can people actually, if they wanted to find your products, obviously they're not going to be here at Origins. We're hearing this right. afterwards. Right. How can they find you and um, see what's coming up for the Broken Token? Well, our website is www.thebrokentoken.com. Um, you can 
put your email address into our website and we'll send out notifications whenever there are new products coming. So that's a great way to stay on top of these new releases. We're also really active in social media. So you can check us out on Facebook. We're The Broken Token. And our uh, Twitter account is at TBT Gaming. So uh, TBT underscore gaming. So those are ways that you can, you know, kind of engage with us online. We're also actually in about three to 400 retail stores across the country, even in other countries. So there's a good chance one of your local gaming stores may carry our products. But if they don't, you can always tell them you want to see the Broken Token products in their store, and they can get in contact with us. So that was Greg from the Broken Token. Um, like I said, I looked at a lot of his products. They are awesome. Um, and a lot of them, like <clears throat> especially if the game has multiple decks that you have to draw from and you have to discard in separate draw discard piles, they actually have the discard piles built into the storage. So you draw from the deck above and slip it right back in underneath to the discard. Nice. Nice. Yeah, they, it's got some grip. Now they're a little bit pricey, but then again, a lot of these games that they're go that they're made for are seventy and hundred dollar games. Right. Well, and it, it depends what you're looking for, because we were looking at the website. They actually have some starting at $20. Exactly. I mean, the, the Firefly crate they were talking about, I think that was at 160 But then okay. again... But it, that, that's a pretty substantial game. Yeah. It is. Well, they actually had... Um, have you ever seen all the parts for Imperial Assault from Fantasy Flight? Well, it's a ground assault minis game. Right. It comes with all the... They have a box that'll hold all that yeah. in individual sections and such. I mean, and it, it's worthwhile. I mean... People should definitely check out their site because just looking at it, like you can think, okay, fine, I can get a Rubbermaid container or I can get these little, you know, individually slotted plastic containers. It's not the same thing. These are made specifically to fit the cards and the dice and all the different pieces and the tokens. It's pretty amazing what they came up with. Well, what he said with the Firefly box, and he, I, he showed this to me the day before the interview, they actually, because um, I guess in the Firefly, you each play a token as one as the Serenity, the ship. And they actually have a piece that sits in there that all the ships are held in place by the base. So they don't they can't fall out of the different areas. Oh, okay. So when you're carrying it around, it's nothing's falling around in your box. Nice. So well, I mean the thing is like you're paying top dollar for 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 some of these games and you know, you, you want the stuff to stay, you know, in decent condition. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, we're not. I mean, not not to poo poo on the game, but we're not talking about Monopoly here. Yeah, <laughs> you know, we're not. So, and and these are games that you're not necessarily always going to play at home. No, exactly. you're going to take them with you someplace, play them at a friend's house, or playing at play them at a gaming cafe or or a gaming event like this. Exactly. That was my for me the halftime. That was my warm up because those <laughs> were those three interviews were all done on Saturday over the entire course of the day. The right. next, how many are here? One, two, three, six interviews I did in three and a half hours. <laughs> Prepare yourselves, geeks. I knocked out six interviews in three and a half hours. Now, Kylan, you know what goes into scheduling and getting it all together and getting from one place to the next and make sure you have enough time to set up and talk to them beforehand. Yeah, yeah. Three and a half Ken, hours. Ken lost 120 pounds over the course of Sunday. It feels like it. <laughs> um, but the, the next one is actually a company we're going to work with some. I haven't told you guys this yet. Ryan Bruns, the president of Mayday Games. Um, if anybody's ever heard of Get Bit or um, one of the other games, there's two. Uh, there's one of the games I'm definitely buying at Gen Con. It's and he'll talk about it here. It's a sushi game. And it, oh, I've heard about that. You'll you'll have to um, hear his description of it. It's because I can't even say the name right now. I don't remember it. It's like ten miles long. It's it sounds like a Korean game show because that's what it is. A yeah. Japanese game show. But he gave Vicky and I a um, copy of the brand new game um, 
a review copy of Dungeon Busters that we're going to play with you guys. We're going to play with the Hobbs. We're going to take it to the Malted Meeple to try out so everybody can check this out. It's actually being released at Gen Con. Okay. So cool. everybody can, um, everybody that we know that we can tell, and we can tell you geeksters about it, and then you guys can go to Gen Con or go to your local game store afterwards. Before we get to that, this is Ryan. I am sitting here with Ryan Bruns from Mayday Games. Say hi, Ryan. Hello. So, what is your position with the company here at Mayday Games? So, I am the president of the company here at Mayday Games, and uh, I'm not sure what that means. No, just kidding. <laughs> no. Uh, so I oversee uh, a lot of the operations of the company. So, okay. And how long has Mayday actually been around? Mayday's been around since 2006, and uh, back then we did a lot of uh, sleeves, card sleeves, and uh, game tokens. If you're familiar with Agricola, okay. Uh, they did the little farm animals with that. Um, I was, uh, I knew about the company back then, and, and uh, they were local to where we live. Uh, so they they did a lot of sleeves, and we started branching into games. Um, I started working with Mayday Games in 2012. Uh, became full time with Mayday Games two years ago. So it's been a, it's been as a as a gamer, it's a dream job. You said you've been with the company about two years. What's some of the uh, more popular games that some of our geeksters may have actually heard of that come from Mayday Games? So some of our most popular evergreen titles would be Get Bit. It was shown on uh, Tabletop Day with Will Wheaton season one. So that's a very popular game. Uh, we've done a lot of lot of copies of that. Uh, some recent games that have got, gotten a lot of steamers. Coconuts, the monkey, the monkey's flinging the coconut game. So uh, into the cups. Okay. So that that's been a very popular game uh, for us the last couple of years. And then Dead Man's Draw, we brought that over from Stardock Entertainment. It started out as an as an app, and uh, Stardock Entertainment tried to kickstart it. Uh, that didn't work so well for them uh, because they're, they're a video game company, and they they came to us and said, you know, we're we're new to this side. We'd like this game out. So Dead Man's Draw has done very well for us. It's been out a year. We're on our third print run. It's been very good. So Awesome. And how many? about how many games do you guys actually have? <laughs> Just a ballpark. You don't have to have an exact number here. We're about two dozen games right now. And um, you said there's actually a couple of brand new games you guys were debuting here that um, people could either order or pre-order here at the con. Yeah, so uh, we debuted Garbage Day for the convention. And in Garbage Day, it's a card dexterity game. Uh, imagine a poker-sized card with two holes towards the top of the card. So you're placing this on a physical plastic garbage can. And when you're placing it on the garbage can, you have to see through those holes to the table. That's the placement rules. So if you can imagine in your mind you're placing these to see through the holes, they can't be obstructed, and the stack gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's something we can all relate to because I'm sure you stack garbage. I've stacked garbage. We're all guilty of stacking garbage. So it's a very humorous game uh, where you're putting garbage into other players, which are your roommates in the game, and you're hiding garbage in their rooms. You're, you're forcing them to place more cards on the garbage can. And it's a player limitation game. Plays uh, two to five players, 15, 20 minutes, really quick. Awesome. And, and um, you said you were actually showing off and demoing a game um, here that you're actually going to debut at Gen Con. Yes. Uh, Dungeon Busters. That will be out released at Gen Con. We kickstarted that game. It's three to five players. We picked this one. Uh, we licensed this one from Korea Board Games. And in Dungeon Busters, players are uh, going through three dungeons. And I, I wouldn't say it's cooperative, so I won't go there. Because it can get ugly a little bit. <laughs> so uh, players are uh, attacking these monsters that are coming across in the dungeon. And the player who contributed the weakest attack gets the best reward if they defeat it. 
And some monsters have one reward, some have up to three rewards. Well, here's the kicker is if you do not defeat the monster, the player who contributed the least to the attack gets the detriment, which is they give up a lot of their loot they've collected so far in the game. So, and, there, and table talk is encouraged, so we're playing numerical cards down. So I can say, I'm playing, I am attacking this monster with a four. Because what also happens is if other players reveal the same number you reveal, their attacks cancel out, thus becoming the players that contributed the weakest. So there's a lot of table talk, there's a lot of banter in the game, which makes it a lot of fun yeah. with, with trying to gather these gems. And there's a lot of, uh, of that social dynamic going. So it's a lot of fun to... It's a fun game, and we've had great experience. We showed it at a, a retailer exclusive show in Las Vegas, and the store owners were in love with it, and it's got a lot of success here at Origins. Well, I know um, Vicky and I demoed the um, demoed it yesterday, and we actually I won the game by having two gems because everybody else was out. The <laughs> final level of the dungeon, we did not beat any of the monsters, and everybody <laughs> ended up losing their gems except for me. And from what um, I was being told, I guess that was one of the lowest scores we've seen all weekend. Oh yeah, that is very much, and it, games vary. I've seen games this weekend where they were running out of uh, out of gems. And then, and then the game ebbs and flows with, you start to see somebody's pile of gems, so maybe that competitive nature comes out and you're trying to undermine what cards they're playing. And it's just, it's just a riot. So. Awesome. Well, one thing I have noticed with, with GetBit and with, um, was Dungeon Busters? Yes. I believe, okay. Dungeon Busters and some of the other ones and the artwork and stuff, this is, looks like a very family friendly company, most of it. You can, it's for the kids. Like you have the one with the monkeys throwing coconuts. This seems like a one that's a great game for families, for your company. Yeah, we're very much a family company. We, we launch a lot of family oriented games and, Especially like coconuts, games like that, and uh, Click Clack Lumberjack where you're chopping a tree, uh, chopping a tree down. You know, some adults can pass it off like, oh, that looks silly, that's a funny kid's game. But all they have to do is flick that one coconut and they're hooked. But we like to focus on some fast, quick teaching games. We do have some uh, more complex strategy games in the pipeline. Uh, so, uh, but we'll always mainstream be through publishing the family games. And awesome. Well, that's, um, Vicky was, like he, she was saying with the demo yesterday that, um, Personally, the two of us, we really like games that are two or more players but that play well with two. And a nice just sit-down pickup game where you only have five minutes to play a game. You just sit down and play, play and move on. That's The Dungeon Busters was like that. And it looks like a lot of your games are built like that. Yeah, we have a lot of those quick, easy games. A lot of our games I can teach to you in under two, three minutes. I can teach you the whole game. It allows you to play and have a fun time, like you said, in a short amount of time. Awesome. Well, I had one I was going to actually, she's, he's playing with it behind you. That looks interesting. The What is this sushi game? <laughs> It's got a long name. Okay. So, okay. It's called Chopstick Dexterity Mega Challenge 3000, <laughs> or CDMC, or what everybody calls it as shows, Chopstick. Okay. It comes with three bowls, well, four bowls, but the players get small, uh, I don't know the, the correct term, smaller bowls with a set of chopsticks. And there's a larger bowl where there's wooden pieces in shapes of, like, nigiri, squid, uh, that kind of thing, uh, wood tokens. So there's, like... There's four different ways to play in the game. One of the most popular ways is we're revealing a token. We're flipping it over, and it'll show a symbol like nigiri. And all the players simultaneously, this is where it gets crazy, go into the bowl with their chopsticks looking for all the nigiri pieces, and you're also looking for the color of the token that it revealed. So if it was red, we'd be gathering all red pieces and all nigiri pieces. So it gets very, very chaotic. In fact, yesterday at the booth, a piece flipped onto the floor, and they proceeded to 
push things out of the way and kind of wrestle with it, trying to get it off the floor in the booth. So, oh, so everybody's trying to p- pick up the piece at the same time. At the same time, and whoever collects the most gathers the token. So you can play to a predetermined amount. So the first one to seven tokens wins the game. That, see, that sounds a lot more complicated than I thought it was because. Um, when I first looked at it, it's like, I'm pretty good with chopsticks. It's not that hard to pick these up out of here. Yes, yeah. But when you have two other chopsticks in there with you, pulling at them, and they're f- feel free to try to steal your piece. Once it's in your bowl, it's safe, but it becomes a battle with chopsticks flying everywhere in there. Oh, that sounds awesome. See, it seems all of your games are just going to be fun to play like this. <laughs> ah, thank you very much. Yeah, we have, I enjoy it uh, to, to teach this and to see people find enjoyment in our games, too. And there's so many new gamers to this hobby that are finding new games. And I know GetBit is, I w- you would say, an older title for us, but I love seeing people discover GetBit for the first time or Coconuts for the first time and uh, to really see the enjoyment that brings these families together. And um, the adults have fun with them. They're not just for kids, and the kids enjoy them as well. So. Yeah. Um, one thing I saw that actually is kind of interesting here, you actually have a three-game box set with GetBit. What are the other two games in that one? So in that one we have GetBit and a game we released a few years ago called Walk the Plank. So in Walk the Plank, you're pirates uh, trying to push each other and manipulate to get to be the most pirates left on the ship. So we start with three pirates, and we're playing cards like I'm shoving shoving other players, pirates, off the plank. You're making planks disappear. They're falling off the plank into the kraken's mouth at the bottom. So uh, it's a lot of uh, pre-programmed movement. So we play three cards face down. We're pre-programming our movement, and we reveal it. And that's where the chaos ensues, with the players moving around the plank, going back and forth. So what you think is programmed when you reveal, things have, have changed because you know what the other players are doing. So it's a very fun game, 15, 20 minutes, two to five players. Okay. Uh, the other game in there is Hold Your Breath. So you're pirates that are diving down for treasure, and you're seeing who can dive down the furthest and make it back up. So the deck is a timer mechanism in the game. So you're diving down, seeing how deep you can go in the ocean, and seeing if you can get back all, all the way back up without holding, with holding your breath. That game's about five minutes long. Awesome. So um, you got all these games sitting here. How can people actually, other than just going to their local hobby and game store or comic shop, where else can people actually get your games from? Yes, so if you cannot find it at your local hobby game store, uh, we're sold on Amazon. Uh, there are online stores like Cool Stuff Inc., I believe, Miniature Market, and uh, uh, through our website as well. So. Okay, and what is your website, and how can people find you if they actually had more questions about this? Uh, MaydayGames.com. We're also very active on Twitter, at MaydayGames, and Instagram, MaydayGames, and also on Facebook. So. Awesome. What other cons are you got coming up that are you guys are going to be at so pe- people in those areas could see it? We will be, our next convention is Dice Tower Con in Orlando, Florida. That's over, that's July 6th, I believe. And after that will be Gen Con that you mentioned. We'll be in the Family Fun Pavilion at Gen Con, and they actually moved that this year. So we're at the very front of the door. So the mad rush of people on Thursday will be right, we'll be up front in the Family Fun Pavilion for that. Uh, After that trip, we go to Essen, Germany. So we, we have a booth in Essen, Germany. And then our final convention for the year, and we have some distributor shows, but our final convention for the year will be BGG Con in Dallas, Texas in November. Yeah, looking at his games during this, they are awesome. They look, I keep, I've noticed this listening back to these interviews. I say awesome a lot. Yeah, you do? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's a pretty good adjective, but i got to come up with some other ones. But no, they fantastic, were fantastic games. Wonderful and fabulous. <laughs> um, the, the cool thing that I didn't bring up during there that I um, should have that I noticed later, most of their games are $20 or less. Nice. Oh, nice. And being a quick pickup games, that's like right in the price range, nice, easy to um, do. Uh, now, the, are, are, there, are there games also like fairly compact? 
Yes, the like, most of them are pretty small, um, pretty small boxes. Like the Dungeon Busters is a deck of cards and some tokens. So it's actually a box that's just a little bit. It's a square box about the size of a deck of cards. Right, because I was thinking like the way he was talking about like one of the games only takes five minutes to play. Like these, these sound perfect for. All the geeksters that are, you know, standing in line at other cons. You just have something in your bag with you to play while you're waiting. Exactly. Um, I know the one that he said the three game pack at the con, it was $30 for the, all, for the three games. So I'm sure at the stores it's more 35 or 40, but still at $40 for three quick games that you can, yeah. in, for in line and thing, that's a pretty good price. As I said with Michael Whitworth there, this was not just games at this convention. Um, Andy was there. They had an artist alley with uh, probably 20 different artists that had fantasy artists set up. They also had an author's alley with um, probably 10 to 15 different authors from the all across the spectrum of um, fantasy and sci-fi. Guys like um, Timothy Zahn and Michael Stackpole were there. Um, and I don't, I'm not as familiar with the fantasy artists or writers, but there were all kinds of writers that write for, um, Dungeons and Dragons and they were writing for Pathfinder and other, and anything else you could think of. Actually, the next interview is a guy named Josh Vogt. He actually wrote a novel, one of the Pathfinder novels. His cleaner series has an awesome twist on the way we, um, you do a paranormal, um, supernatural type book. So let's hear it from him. I am sitting here, or actually standing here right now, with Josh Vogt, author of Maids of Wrath and Enter the Janitor. So, hi, Josh. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. You're an author, obviously. You, um, you write books for Pathfinder, and you have your own series and such. How did you get into writing? I got into writing. I've been a lifelong writer, reader, gamer. I've been a geek since day one, since I could, okay. since I could read. Uh, and during college, I decided that I was going to be a career author. That was my dream and my goal. And so I just started pursuing it. I, I read all the classics, all the R.A. Salvatores, the Terry Brooks, you know. Uh, I got into the Dresden Files with Jim Butcher. I've read uh, many, many, many other authors and have many favorites here as well who it's pretty awesome to be working alongside them, like uh, Jennifer Brozek, Lucy Snyder, uh, Timothy Zahn, Mike Stackpole, and many others. So it was, it's always been a pretty lifelong dream of mine to get to this point. So I just started pursuing it. I started going to conventions and conferences, started writing, of course, mm-hmm. uh, and getting lots of feedback, uh, trying to get better at it all the time, pitching to agents and editors. Um, and then I became a freelance writer and started freelancing for game companies. I started getting uh, manuals and adventure modules and campaigns and monster write-ups and things like that. Um, my first novel was Forge of Ashes through Paizo, uh, through their Pathfinder Tales line. And I got connected with them by selling them several short stories, which if you go to paizo.com, uh, their web fiction series, you can read all those. There's a big collection of short stories that you can read for free, uh, including a prequel short to Forge of Ashes. Uh, so, yeah, after I sold several to them, they asked me to pitch a novel. And okay. that just went from there. And at the sa- right about the same time, I uh, pitched my... Uh, cleaner series to an editor with Wordfire Press, which is who that series is through, and they liked that enough to pick that up, and that's been going pretty well ever since. Awesome. Actually, speaking of that, you were telling me a little about the cleaner series. Now, this has an interesting twist on the way that um, people have read uh, paranormal type of books. So what is the cleaner series? So the cleaners is about a supernatural sanitation company. So its its employees are janitors and maids and plumbers and handymen and chimney sweeps and all sorts of those types of uh, career paths. Uh, but they have magical abilities. They you know energy. They they work on pure and corrupt energy, and they deal with sewer monsters and garbage golems. 
worms and dust devils and uh, creatures known as fleshmongers and mudmen and all sorts of weird corruptions and muck and uh, that infest the world. Uh, awesome. So I got the concepts actually just from the title. I was just brainstorming ideas, thought of Enter the Janitor, and and just it just snagged my mind, and I had to play with it. And because of the way my mind works, I have to either twist it into fantasy or science fiction in some way. Uh, and oddly enough, once I start building out the world and the magic system, it fit because janitors and maids and all those sanitation workers are always around us. We never really pay any attention to them or what they're doing. We just assume they belong. So they could really be up to anything behind the scenes and we would never really know. Uh, and uh, the whole rise and fall of civilization has been very interconnected with things like hygiene and sanitation. So it's a very critical part of reality itself. Um, things like druids and shamans, uh, mages and wizards, we've, they've been with us all this time. They just are now janitors and maids. They use mops and squeegees instead of wands and staves. Oh, that sounds awesome. So how many books are in this series so far? Two have been published. I'm wrapping up the third right now, which will be out either later this year or early next. I have planned out at probably at least 10 books in the series. Uh, it could go a little longer uh, if possible. It might, if something happens, it could be condensed a little, but that's, I'm, I'm in it for the long haul. And as long as people keep enjoying it, as long as I enjoy writing it, yeah, okay. it's been going great. Well, how long have you actually been in the field writing and stuff since you had your first book published? You said you, um, Paizo had you with the Pathfinder for your first novel. So what was, how long have you been doing writing the novels? Uh, I've, I've been writing novels since college, so over, over a decade now, um, which is really hard to think about, probably closer to 12 years at this point since I sat down to write my first one. I've uh, dealt with a lot of rejection, which is kind of par for the course for writers. Uh, but both Enter the Janitor and Forge of Ashes actually came out in the same month in 2015, May 2015. So I kind of had a dual um, debut with my novels. Uh, Forge of Ashes was a few weeks early, so it's technically my debut. And then uh, The Maids of Wrath came out just this last April. And I've had, over the six, past six or seven years, I've had a couple dozen short stories published in various online and print markets. Okay. And so what is Forge of Ashes now? This is a, actually a Pathfinder story. Yeah, so Path, uh, Paizo has their own Pathfinder tales, tie-in novel line to the game Pathfinder. Mm -hmm. um, and to read the stories, I mean, if you're familiar at all with fantasy, you do not have to be involved with the game. You've never had to, you don't have to have ever played it to enjoy the novels. There, many of them are standalone. There's uh, probably at least a dozen different authors they've brought in to do these novels now. And yeah, this is uh, so Forge of Ashes is about a female dwarven barbarian. Uh, who comes home from war to find out that her mother's missing and presumed dead, and she has a very big hammer and a very short temper and is absolutely determined to figure out what happened in her absence. And, of course, all sorts of mayhem ensues, and there's monsters and magic all over the place, really big action scenes, uh, and I, I loved it. It was a fun book to write, and, and many people have enjoyed it as well because it was their first dwarven-focused book, and you don't really see any many female dwarves in books or comics these days well according to lord of the rings you do see them yes. but they look just like the men right <laughs> yeah well i mean the two that i can think of is of course the the uh, comic rat queens uh, has an excellent female dwarf character and then terry pratchett uh does an excellent job with his dwarven uh females as well so okay um so what's in the future for you uh, more of the same. I, I traveled to a lot of conventions uh, throughout the year. Last year I went to about 20 conventions, but that was before I got a full-time job. I'm going to about five or six this year. I love to come here, sell books, be on panels, meet new readers. I will be going to um, Gen Con next with the Paizo Pathfinder team. And then we'll be at Oricon in Portland, I believe in November. Uh, beyond that, I'm continuing to work on the Cleaner series, continuing to get some other books out there. Some other. I do a lot of game freelancing, so I'll be doing some of that. 
Um, right now, my day job is actually, after I published a novel with them, uh, Paizo went on to hire me as one of their full-time editors. So I moved. Yeah, they, they enjoyed working with me, and they had a space open up. They had the need, and it just worked out really well. So I moved from Denver to Seattle last October, and I'm now working full-time in their office. And it's a great team, great company. I love it. Uh, hopefully, we'll be, get a chance to do another Pathfinder novel in the, down the road. Okay. Um, they just partnered with Tor last year, though, so they've been doing a lot big, bigger distribution, and Tor has been bringing in some big-name authors to kind of fill in the line. So, yeah, it's, uh, I will be doing that as being an editor full-time for a while. I will be at conventions. I will be writing. I will be gaming. So, yeah, it's kind of living, living many of my dreams and passions out, which I feel very lucky to do. Awesome. Now, you said you're going to be at Gen Con next. What other shows do you have actually scheduled coming up so that any listeners can actually come see you at their show? Uh, the only other one that I know for certain is Oricon, and that's in Portland in, I believe it's the middle of November. Okay. Yeah, that's the, that's the main other one. Again, because I have a full-time job, yeah. I don't get to travel quite as much. How could people get a hold of you if they, wanna, if they wanted to um, get your Are they available in all the normal bookstores and such and comic shops and things, or do, is it better to order it from a certain website? Uh, you can order if you go to jrvote. That's jrvogt.com. That's my main website. Uh, all the links are there for like Amazon and Barnes and Nobles and Kobo and Smashwords, and, and they're also audible audiobooks uh, and eBooks, so you can get them there as well. Uh, Amazon, you know, through all the major channels, you can order them through any major bookstore. Uh, yeah, they're very easily accessible for sure. This is Josh Vote. Um, check out the Cleaner series. Check out his Pathfinder books. So that was Josh. I I loved his twist on the in that cleaner series that the janitors and everybody that's sitting around they, no one ever pays attention to. And it, as you're doing this, you're looking around, you're seeing these guys emptying trash and uh, pushing uh, stuff around in this hall, thinking, "Wait a minute, no one does pay attention to any of these guys." Right. No, they don't. Um, I'm going to try to get an interview with him or actually some of the other guys at Gen Con because he's actually going to be there representing Paizo there. Well, he so. definitely gets my vote. <laughs> I actually. <laughs> Really, gangsters! Y'all thought that was funny. That's right. Well, um, nice thing about the big cons like Origins and Gen Con is you get the big names in gaming there. The next three interviews I have here are actually three of the biggest names in gaming that are out there. I have um, the next one is Ryan Skinner from Cryptozoic, who makes um, a lot of your deck building games, like the um, the DC deck building game that is huge. They have three, I believe it's three major. standalone games that can work together and a bunch of individual expansions for it they also took that same system and made a cartoon network game they also um have you seen the ghostbusters board game nice nice he talks about that on here too so we are actually sitting at the cryptozoic booth with ryan now ryan what is your position here with cryptozoic uh, I am the sales coordinator for Cryptozoic, so I am on the road all the time at conventions and trade shows and uh, showing off all the products and talking about how awesome all of our stuff is and, you know. Awesome. Yeah. Um, now, Cryptozoic, uh, most, some of the fans um, that are listening may know you guys from um, your DC Deck Builder card game. You have a Cartoon Network. Is that a card? That's also a card game. And Kylan, my partner on here, actually just picked up Spyfall like last month to, um, at the Malta Meeple. All of our listeners have heard us talk about the Malta Meeple, and he loves that game so far. So um, what are some of the other products? That are, um, actually, before we get into that, what is some of the history of Cryptozoic? Sure, yeah, yeah. So going back to Cryptozoic's uh, foundation, they were formed to initially publish the World of Warcraft trading card game. Uh, so that went on for about a year or so, at which point then the company expanded and has since added 
uh, a variety of card games and board games and the like, um, heavily investing in a lot of great fan properties and a lot of licenses that we work with. You mentioned DC Comics, Cartoon Network. We've also worked with The Walking Dead, The Big Bang Theory, uh, Adventure Time, uh, and a variety of others that we work with, uh, current, past, present, future, and so forth, all that. So, um, as well as a lot of independent original titles as well. So we have some in-house design teams that, uh, that sometimes bang out some original games, like we had Food Fight was one of the first games that uh, was ever published by Cryptozoic that was an entirely original game. Um, and we've had several more originals since then. More recently, people would recognize perhaps Epic Spell Wars of the Battle Wizards as a, as a line that is an all-original Cryptozoic title uh, that is not a license or anything like that. So, um, yeah, so we've got just a wide variety of card games and board games ranging from small little games to big, robust adventure games and, and so forth. So. Okay, well, um, the one I've noticed that jumped to my eye right away when I first walked up to the booth was um, I expected, like I said, to see a DC card game, and the, I've seen stuff for the Cartoon Network properties, but the Ghostbusters board game. How long have you guys had that out? Sure, that one came out in November of last year, of 2015 it would have been. Um, we actually kickstarted the game last uh, spring, so or last winter-ish. It was February of 2015. We kickstarted it. It was a super su- successful Kickstarter. Uh, we got it all backed out or uh, published out to backers in October, November of this last year, and then into uh, into the winter for some of the bigger fans that had crazy amounts of stuff they backed, which was awesome. We love those guys. Uh, but anyway, it's a it's a big adventure game, kind of light RPG experience, uh, fully cooperative, where you take on the role of the original four Ghostbusters, are working through different scenarios and campaigns to, of course, bust ghosts, close gates to the spirit world that are uh, the doorway between our world and theirs, and where where they're coming into New York City, for example. So you have to go and shut all that down to you know save the city, uh, and you've got big boss fights with Stay Puft and Slimer, as well as characters from the IDW comic book series and the toy line and the animated series. It's kind of a a big amalgam of several different Ghostbusters properties all mashed into this single board game experience. So. Awesome. I'm glad you mentioned the comic books and anime because that's looking at the box art and such. You don't have any of the images of the video of the original Ghostbusters. You have all the actual comic book versions of them on the box. Yeah, that's right. Um, we didn't want to do something based explicitly on the film. While, of course, a lot of the content is inspired by and some of the characters are directly from that, uh, the art is so much more accessible to us for one and it uh, is a lot of fun to get to work with Dan Schoening who does all the IDW uh, comic art and uh, get some all original pieces for the characters the the map tiles all the different uh, content that's in the game is all done by him which was awesome for us to get to use so awesome um, let's go on and move over to DC Comics because uh, the geeksters listening know that I actually have a DC Comics podcast other than Geek Watch 1. So that my heart is in DC Comics, and you have multiple versions of the DC Comics card game. Now, how did that come about, the DC Comics deck builder? Sure. Uh, the DC Comics deck building game, uh, its inception precedes me and my time at the company. Uh, I was just simply a fan playing other games when the DC Comics deck building game originally released. And I... Uh, I've been a huge fan ever since, and so it's just a privilege that I've gotten to actually work with the company and sell the game now. But, uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of fans in Cryptozoic for a lot of brands. Uh, we've got kind of a moniker, Fans First. Uh, that means, you know, within the company, we are fans above all else, and we recognize our fans of these brands as well. Their their needs and their interests are, are paramount to us. And so uh, they really wanted to do a, a fun, accessible card game featuring the DC Universe, because we've got such dedicated DC fans in our office. So, um, so yeah, they put out the original game in 2011, 
um, and they built up what's essentially now called the Cerberus uh, deck building game engine, which is a essentially stripped down. It's a very core system that really any type of uh, license can be added onto. So you can add. Uh, we've done variety of different licenses like Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. We've done Street Fighter. We did Naruto, the anime. Uh, we did an NHL card game based on NHL hockey, uh, all based on the same engine that started with the DC Comics deck building game. So uh, it's just really accessible, really easy to learn, easy to set up, easy to tear down, quick to play uh, card system that is very customizable. Uh, and so with that customization ability, we've also been able to expand on it for the last you know five years. Uh, and about, about once a year, we've had a new release uh, of... Uh, all new cards that are standalone. So every time we put out a new big box release for DC Comics, it stands by itself. You can buy it and play it without anything else. But all the cards are compatible with other releases. So it's an entirely intermixable system. And so now that we have four big standalone games, three cooperative expansion packs, a two-player expansion pack, uh, and four what we call crossover packs, which are little small flavor packs to mix in, uh, there is hundreds and hundreds of cards that you can use to customize the deck that you want to play with each game. So the game can be a very different experience, whether you sit down with just a, a core box or a mix of two games or a crazy mishmash of everything, that you you know, all your favorite characters and cards. Um, yeah. So. Oh, cool. Well, you said there's... Um you said there were three games you guys were debuting for pre-order here at the show, correct? Yes, that's right. Yeah, we have three different titles that we pre-sold here at Origins uh, that are coming out over the next couple months. Uh, none of which are DC-related, unfortunately. That's okay. But uh, but yeah, but we have a, but we have a variety of other stuff coming up. Um, first and foremost, we showed off our one of our new licenses that we're working with this year, which is with Rick and Morty, the Adult Swim cartoon. Um, we have two games in the works for Rick and Morty, one of which we sold here and one we just kind of teased with, the, with some boxes. But um, the first game that we're releasing, which comes out on Wednesday this week, on the 22nd, is the Total, uh, Total Rick All card game. Uh, for fans of the show, I don't know if you yourself are a fan at all, but uh, uh, it's a each of the two games we're doing are explicitly based on an episode of the show in which a particular scenario happens and, uh, and we kind of take inspiration and influence from that. So in this particular game, the Total Recall game, it's based on an episode of the same title in which there's a species of alien parasites who have invaded the household of the, of the family in the show, and they, their, their MO is they implant memories into the family's heads and make them believe that they have been there all along, and they take the form of different characters like Uncle Steve, and there's never been an Uncle Steve on the show before. Or they have all these other wacky characters, and they just act like they've been there all along. And the family's like, oh, yeah, it's Uncle Steve. We, have, we went fishing with him, or whatever it might have been. And then Rick, the crazy grandfather, realizes that, wait, there's no such thing as an Uncle Steve. He's an alien parasite, and he shoots him with a laser gun, and he blows up in a gooey mess. And they realize that there's all these people starting to show up, and they have to suss out who's real and who's an alien parasite. Who can you trust and who not? Okay. So taking the form of a game... That works as, uh, what we've done is we've worked it into a cooperative card game where you are trying to deduce of a bunch of characters on the table uh, who is real and who is in fact an alien parasite. And you have to eliminate all the parasites to win the game as a, as a group. Um, it's really, really quick to play, really easy to learn. Um, despite the show having some very adult themes and, and humor to it, the game itself is actually really, uh, really, really simplified. And uh, you could play it with a younger audience, probably probably about ten years old, be able to handle it just fine. There's some color matching, very little text involved. 
Um, so yeah, it's really, really fun. It's been a huge hit for us here. We brought a little over 100 copies, and we blew through it. We had to ration it out over the first few days. Uh, it's a $15 game uh, that is just going gangbusters for us here at the show, which is great. Um, there's obviously a strong following for the brand, so we're, we're excited to get to, to bring some fun, you know, entertaining new products to that, uh, to that fandom. Um, we have a second Rick and Morty game that we showcased, which is the Mr. Meeseeks Box of Fun. Uh, which you guys will be able to see information on, Board Game Geek, and we'll have them available at Gen Con. Uh, it's a party game, definitely R-rated for adults uh, type of party game, in which you're rolling dice, trying to complete challenges. Uh, Mr. Meeseeks, which is a character from the show, again, uh, you may not be familiar, but uh, the fans of Rick and Morty will definitely know what this is. Um, he'll help you complete these tasks and, and, ro- and modify your dice. It's some basic dice-matching game mechanics. But uh, if you fail to complete your task, then you have to draw dare cards and do some awkward, embarrassing things and, okay. uh, and so forth. So that's coming a little bit later this year as well, so we showed that off here. We also debuted here at the show Internal Affairs, uh, which you can see right behind us at yeah. the show, this giant banner at our booth. Um, Internal Affairs is a $20 team-based deduction game with a fun twist being that you don't know who your teammates are at the start of the game. Your team affiliations are hidden, and so everyone looks at their own at the start of the game, and you have to go through some deduction processes to start learning information about other players' identities before you can figure out who your teammates are and who your enemies are. The objective is to eliminate two of the enemy team, but as an extra layer of complexity and strategy, there are cards that will occasionally shift identity cards around, and your affiliation may change based on the actions of another player. So uh, it's, it's very fun. It plays in about 20 or 30 minutes, uh, up to eight players, two to eight player game. Uh, this one is one that we will be releasing about end, end of July, early August, right in that range. Uh, so you guys can find it in stores, online, everywhere at that point. Uh, but we brought some to the show here as just a little bit, bit of a tease. We only had about 30 copies of this one, and we blew through all that really quickly. Um, it was actually released by Capstone internationally last year, and we grabbed a copy at Essen, and uh, we really enjoyed it. So we pursued that and brought it over, just like we did with Spyfall and Hobby World. So, yeah, very, very fun. If the Geeksters, I know they can get all the games at their local hobby, comic, and um, game stores. Is there anywhere else people can actually get the Cryptozoic games? Uh, select titles, yeah. You'll be able to find at Barnes & Noble. Uh, you can find Spyfall now in Target, which we're really excited about. Uh, they're really evolving their game library in that store, which is awesome to see some of the bigger retailers start to recognize this industry for being the, the growing juggernaut that it's becoming, which is great. But, yeah, otherwise your hobby shops and, uh, and online retailers are your, your best place to find most of our line. So. Okay. And um, how would the Geeksters find Cryptozoic online? Uh, at Cryptozoic.com. Uh, that is our, our home base for all of our games as well as all, all, all of our other merchandise and products that we make uh, for our licenses and other properties. So. Okay. And are you guys active on social media or any place like that? Of course, yeah. Pretty much uh, you throw at Cryptozoic in just about any of the major uh, social media pages. So you're... Uh, Twitter, your Tumblrs, your, I think we've got a Pinterest page out there, all that type of stuff, uh, you're going to find us pretty much at Cryptozoic. So so that was um, great that Ryan was able to give us all that information. Actually, Vicky and I picked up some of the DC Deck Builder, one of the base sets. Then they have a two-player rival set that um, is basically designed for two players. So we picked that up, too, to check out. Ghostbusters game looks amazing. The next game, The next one we had, we actually got a hold of Jason Hardy, from Catalyst Games Lab, which actually, they have the Battletech rights. They do all the Battletech games, Shadowrun, and then the newest one that they were showing off here that um, they did a lot of gaming with was they have the Vikings History Channel license. 
So oh, they actually cool. have a board game based on the Vikings TV show and a strategy chess-style game called Jarl that they brought. Um, we picked up the Vikings game, and then Jarl we're going to pick up at Gen Con probably because they were both awesome games. But I'm going to let Jason tell you more about that. I'm standing here with Jason Hardy from Catalyst Game Labs. So welcome, Jason. Now, what is your um, position here with Catalyst? I'm Shadowrun line developer, so all things Shadowrun, I oversee. Ah, so you were... voice there. Yeah. So um, I know Heather actually directed us over here, too. Heather Hopp from Con on the Cob. And um, I know you guys have had a large presence at Con on the Cob over the years, especially with Shadowrun. Now, anybody who doesn't know, what is Shadowrun? Shadowrun is a role-playing game, at least it started as a role-playing game, that combines cyberpunk with fantasy. So you get a dystopian future with elves, dwarves, trolls, orcs, uh, toting machine guns and blowing things up, dragons running corporations. And it's just a lot of, it's a great setting. So it started as a role-playing game. We've added a deck-building game and a push-your-luck dice game just because it's so much fun to play in. However people play, we want to play in Shadowrun. So we know Shadowrun's been around for a long time, and um, I don't know how long. What's some of the history of Catalyst? Uh, Catalyst has been around for around a decade or so, uh, but it has a lot of people who have worked on Battletech and Shadowrun for almost the entire history of those games. Uh, It started as a company doing short fiction for Battletech, but then uh, some situations arose uh, about 10 years ago that gave them a chance to get the Shadowrun Battletech licenses. They were able to get them, started the Catalyst imprint, and a lot of freelancers and other people who loved those games came over and have been working with them at Catalyst ever since. And then we branched out to do other games and uh, just you know explore our love of gaming. Awesome. Um, now, here at the show, you actually had a new release for Shadowrun that you guys are releasing for this show. Yeah, we had uh, Howling Shadows, which is our critter book, so all sorts of weird and wild, nasty beasties. We had uh, Seattle Sprawl, so a box set to look at the setting of Seattle, and we had a game called Shadowrun Encounters, a push-your-luck dice game. Um, you know, Shadowrun is a role-playing game. It is a little more on the intensive side, a big, heavy book, lots of rules, and we love that, but Shadowrun Encounters is a quick move in 20, 25 minutes, maybe, dice game with a lot of fun, a lot of opportunities for players to backstab each other, so it's a good way to get in the universe in a quick and easy way. Okay, and then you were mentioning we're standing on the side here, so there's Shadowrun right in front of me, but I forgot, you guys actually have Battletech, too. And Battletech, for gamers, know that this is a game with a long history that goes back in the late 80s, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's about uh, 30 years old, I think, now, and, and big, stompy robots making chaos. We like big, stompy robots. <laughs> so is there anything new or upcoming for Battletech? Yeah, Battletech uh, has been busy. We have a few new books here at the show. We've got uh, the first Succession War history book because the Succession Wars were a great period in Battletech history, so give uh, players a chance to play there. And uh, Combat Manual Mercenaries. Mercenaries have always been popular in Battletech, so given a chance for people to have their own units and bring them out into the field. Uh, and we've had uh, the Lance packs that we sold out of because, the, you know, it's big, stompy robots, and having miniatures of big, stompy robots is great. So those are some of the new things that we had at the show. Okay. And going well. Awesome. Well, the one I want to get into next is actually the one you have a giant pile of sitting right in front of your booth. And I know myself and Vicky were all excited about this. We actually already bought a copy of it. Is you actually have the Vikings History Channel TV show board game now. Yeah, we have uh, a brand new big board game for Vikings. It's trying to get the whole Viking experience of sailing on your longboats and exploring, raiding villages, occasionally having some of your guys killed in those raids, but whatever. Well, that's normal. That's part of Vikings. That's how it works, yeah. So, uh, And then trying to get back and 
uh, trade in all the wealth you've gained for more power and more prestige in the community. So it, it really captures the whole thing the Vikings are about. Awesome. And how long does it usually sit, take to sit down and actually play Vikings? Uh, it's one of the longer games we have, so probably 90 minutes, uh, two hours, somewhere in that range. Because uh, you're going through three years of just raiding the countryside, and that takes some time. Yeah. And um, you, it, this was, is this the first show you're actually able to get Vikings? Yeah, I think this is the first con we've had it. It came out in stores uh, just earlier this year, but I don't think we've had it at any con. We certainly didn't have it at Gen Con last year. Okay, and then there was one other one, actually another Vikings title that you guys have that um, is based on another game you called that you have called the Duke, called Jarl. You want to tell us a little bit about Jarl and the Duke? Yeah, I love those games. The Duke's been a really good success for us. It's uh, a different kind of chess-like game with two players uh, maneuvering their pieces across the field and trying to capture the leader of the opposition. But it's really tactical because you never know what pieces you're going to have on the board at the same time. So you have to adjust to what pieces come out, uh, change your tactics on the fly, and see what you can do with the pieces you have available. And uh, so we did a version of the Duke called the Jarl that has a Vikings theme. And one of the great things about that game is the, the powers are different. Whereas the Duke pieces are really fast moving and can cover a lot of territory, the Jarl pieces are great at unit tactics and staying together and forming a phalanx that can blast through the enemy and so they're different but if you put both of them head to head you can play duke versus jarl and they balance really well and depending on what tactic you like i like motion i like being able to move cover a lot of ground so i like the duke but i've seen people with the jarl who are excellent at the close combat tactics and can make it work really well and beat the crap out of me well, I like, uh, it's interesting because um, unlike chess, chess you have to know all, what all your pieces do before the game starts. Each of these pieces actually tell you on the piece what it can do. And and they change what they can do every turn you move them. That's an interesting game mechanic. Yeah, so there's a lot of flexibility that, you know, things are going to have to change. And as you flip it over, there's different moves on the other side. Uh, but it's great that, yeah, it's right there in front of you. So even though you have to learn how to be flexible, you don't have to remember all the moves. You don't have to pull a tile out and go, oh, wait, what does it do? It's right there on the piece, and you can try to figure out how to best use the tactics of the pieces you have in front of you. Awesome. So what's the future for Catalyst Games? What do you got coming on the horizon that you can tell us a little bit about? Oh, we got a lot of exciting things going on. Uh, we've had the Valiant uh, role-playing game that's been out for a year or two now, and so we have a deck-building game coming for that, uh, just because the Valiant superhero universe has uh, got some really great characters, and we're looking forward to getting people to be able to play in it more. Uh, personally, as Shadowrun line developer, I'm really excited about a book we're working on called Shadowrun Anarchy. Because while we, we love our big in-depth role-playing game, we know that sometimes it takes uh, a little effort to get involved in something that big and a lot of time commitment to play a full role-playing game. So we wanted to make something that was more narrative-focused, that uh, you could get into quickly, create characters, jump out of the book, and immediately get into adventuring. And so Anarchy is going to be a, a lighter, more narrative-focused rule set, but still robust enough that you can form all the different types of characters that Shadowrun is known for. So you can have your mages, you can have your adepts, you can have your deckers trying to hack into the Matrix, and of course you can have your street samurai, because Shadowrun's all about the street sammies. So I'm really looking forward to that book. I played uh, the rules we have so far a number of times, and it's so much fun to, to have the story move, to have the players contribute to the story, and to have it just moving at a good clip, it's, it's really exciting. Awesome. So 
Other than just, because I know Catalyst is in just about every game and hobby shop and comic shop out there, where else can people actually get a hold of Catalyst Games? You can go to our online store, so you go to uh, www.battlecore.com and look for the shop button, and we have all our uh, materials up there. For PDFs, you can always go to DriveThruRPG, all of our PDFs get put up there, and uh, you know all the normal places books are sold, you can find our books. What other shows do you have coming up? Uh, we will be at Gen Con, and then right after that we'll be at PAX Prime. So those are the two big ones coming up. Uh, not a whole lot after that. Uh, we do have demo agents across the country going to shows. You can always go to CatalystDemos.com and see where games are being run, but the company will be at Gen Con and uh, PAX Prime. And we can probably pretty much guarantee, that because the, they're there every year, that we'll see at least your demo team at Con on the Cob. The demo team will be at Con on the Cob. They love that con, and I love that con. I've gone to it a number of times, and the people that run it are so much fun just to hang out with, and it's the, the, the more casual atmosphere is great. So we'll have games there. Uh, for some reason, I don't know why, we have a great number of awesome demo people in Ohio. So if there's a con in Ohio, you're going to find people running Shadowrun. And we've got plenty of people outside of Ohio, so you can... Find it beyond that as well. Go to CatalystDemos.com is where you can find listings of where we're running stuff. So Catalyst actually has a lot of stuff coming up, but we're, we were really excited about that Vikings game. It's kind of cool. The pieces kind of look like Catan, but um, you start cool. you start in your village, then you got to go across the water, obviously, to go raiding in the countryside, and it takes place over multiple seasons. It's like three seasons. So you got one season, you go out raiding, then you reset for the next round is... Um, Totally resetting all the pieces out there and adding more land to it, trading resources to get back so you can go back across the ocean to um, fight again. This one's going to be a long game to play, but I think it's going to be fun. Uh, it made it made me think back to when I was really into uh, BattleTech. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, which interesting thing. Did you know that Buckaroo Banzai was actually referenced in BattleTech? Oh, that's awesome! I think I heard that yeah. somewhere, but. Yeah, he actually had the the doctor, the team bonsai was actually a unit. Yep. And so I was just like, is there anything that I'm into that does not reference Dr. <laughs> bonsai? That's because that's that's Buckaroo Bonsai has almost an immeasurable influence on where we're at now on sci-fi and gaming and such. And games in general. I, I actually have a T-shirt, uh, a Battletech T-shirt with uh, one of the mechs that uh, team bonsai designed. Yep. I, I hardly ever wear it because it's a hard-to-find shirt, but yeah, so... Well, Vicky and I actually got to play, um, they had a Battletech simulators set up there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, those we were, were actually, in those before. Oh, that was sweet. Pretty cool to use, though. Yeah, yeah. it was amazing. There, there's uh, screens and buttons and switches all over the place. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I believe they got those from Dave and Buster's up in Cleveland. Uh, well, they had like think- eight or nine of them across. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, yeah. It was a number of years ago when they got rid of them up there, and and of course now Dave and Buster's has got pods again with all the Star Wars stuff. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, the next one, actually, I'm going to slip in here. I'm going to go a little out of order, but that's because um, the next one was an awesome little game that um, they're just debuting. Their Kickstarter actually is going to be finishing on um, the day this drops, but they said that right now they're not optimistic that they're going to make their goal on this one. It's a chance for them to get their name out. The game is called BetaBots, and it's a card game where you build robots and go on missions together with them. I'm actually sitting here with Carl and April with the BetaBots. Actually, it's a brand-new card game that uses poker chips and such, but you're basically building robots, you said. Welcome to the show, guys. Thanks for having us. So um, 
Where did Betabot start out at? Where, how, what's the history? How far does this go back? How long have you guys been working on this? So we've been working on this for about two years, but everybody that's worked on it except for one person all went to college together. So we're all college buddies. We actually room together with a few of us. We play board games. So instead of going out on Friday nights, a lot of times we would just spend the time playing board games. So we've been playing a lot of games for a long time now. But, the, but you know, one day my buddy was just like, hey, you know, we can, we can make our own game. We know all these games. We know all the mechanics. We can make one that has all the favorite things that we have of all these other games. We're going to combine it into one awesome game. So he pitched me the idea for the game, and I loved it. So I was like, let's do it. But, I mean, from the two years ago when we first made the game to today, it's the game is so much different because we, we play-tested probably thousands of times with people. I mean, people have suggestions, really good suggestions all the time. So we, we're constantly changing the game. So in the two years' time, we, we finally got the mechanics down. I think everybody that plays the game now loves it. Um, so I, that's kind of where we are now is we're trying to, trying to really manufacture and get this game made. What is Betabots? So Betabots is a robot building game. It's a little bit of a deck builder meets negotiations meets bidding. So everybody's bidding for different components to build up your robots, and everyone's going on the same missions. So you got to negotiate with team members. you got to negotiate with other players to try to go on the mission on a team if you can't beat it alone. So lots of negotiation, lots of interaction, no waiting. There's no real downtime in Betabots. Everybody's playing all the time. And uh, the objective is to get the most bits at the end. Those are the rewards that you get the missions. But um, lots of bidding, lots of interaction, lots of negotiations. And it's uh, deck building in nature, but lots of other components as well. I haven't had a chance to sit down and play it yet, but um, this actually isn't available here yet, is it? It's not. So we launched our Kickstarter probably about 30 days ago. Um, we've gained some traction, but, you know, as, as kind of a... A small, just a couple guys getting together. The hardest thing is probably getting the word out there, and it's you got to get people to play the game to love the game, right? It's it's hard to tell people how great a game is before they play it. So we're here, you know, trying to spread the word, trying to get people as many people as we can to play the game. And this round of Kickstarter really is just to get ourselves out there to let people know about BetaBots. Okay, and um, so th even if this one doesn't get funded, you are going to put it back out there so Geeksters can actually look on Kickstarter and find BetaBots out there, right? For sure, yeah. So even if the one doesn't get funded, we have plans to relaunch probably in you know a month or so. We have we've learned so much just in this convention this week that we 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 have a bunch of suggestions. We've talked to a bunch of distributors, retailers, publishers. They've g given us great advice. So I think we're going to go back and really focus our efforts, fix the things that we 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 might have not done as well the first time around, and relaunch the Kickstarter. Awesome. And how if um if the Geeksters can't find it on Kickstarter because it's not up there yet, but where, where could people actually find Betabots and follow this if they want to check it out and see what it's all about? So we have a website, um, Betabots.com. It's Betabots with a Z. So um, Betabots.com, it'll, it'll give you information on our creators, about the game, about the art. Uh, basically, everything that we're doing is on Betabots.com. We're also on, we also have a page on Board Game Geeks. So if you get on our page, um, we have lots of information there so to, to check out. Um, also, we, I mean, we'd love to hear your feedback. We're on social media, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter. So let us know if you have any, you know, we're still taking suggestions, taking um, feedback. So just let us know what you think, what you think about the game, what you think about what we're doing, and just we'd love to hear any feedback from you guys. Okay, and um, do you have any other plans for other conventions and stuff you're going to so people can actually try out the game and see how it plays? Yeah, so we're actually... 
based so we're based both in Seattle and Columbus. So we're going to all the board game places around town, and we also have friends kind of all over the country going to board game places just to play with people who are enthusiastic about board games. But um, we do have plans to go to Gen Con in in August. We um, we haven't determined how many of us are going, but we're definitely going to have a presence at Gen Con to just further just build on the momentum that we gain here and just spreading more word about BetaBots. Awesome. If you take a look at our website, we have a bunch of events listed, so you can follow us wherever is convenient for you. Okay, are you guys also on social media so that geesters can follow you there? Yep, we have a Facebook page, uh, BetaBots. You can you can look us up. Um, we also have a Twitter account. We have an Instagram account. We plan to probably put more artwork out there, um, just because we're we're starting to work more with the artists to come up with our final art design. It took a while for us to really get the concept down, but now we're producing more art, so should be more visual as well as um, um, you know updates on what we're doing. That is BetaBots, geesters. Look online. You said it's BetaBots.com. So that was BetaBots, and actually, better than just giving us information on how this is going, they actually gave me a, um, one of their demo copies of BetaBots so we could play it and show to some of the geeks and um, geeksters and gamers around here. Cool. Sweet. So I, um, I went ahead and looked them up on Kickstarter, and for a first time out, they've gotten more than half of their amount pledged. So it, it does, like you said, look like they're not going to make it this time around. But, you know, as of when we're recording this, their uh, their full amount they were looking for was thirty five thousand, and they got just over twenty thousand. So that's really pretty good for a first time out. And like they said, they're going to put it out there again. So hopefully they'll get it funded the second time. Right. Exactly. I also made some introductions, so we may. Um, that's another. This is another one we may see a con on the cob. They may be bringing it up there because um, at least half of their team is from Columbus, so it's not that far away. So oh, we may good. be bringing good. beta beta bots to con on the cob to demo at least to demo and play there. Nice. So. Um, then I got one last interview, and this one wasn't originally on my schedule. Kay Steele and Heather Hop b- both um, told us we you gotta go talk to Reaper. You got Reaper Minis was here, and okay. Kay Steele actually won one of the prizes for minis painting this year. So nice. um, Kay and Heather and Andy, everyone's like, you gotta go talk to um, Reaper. And what surprised me was in, in the interview, you'll hear the size of how many employees work for this company, and then the amount of minis they make. It's amazing the ratio here. So let me go ahead and let Brian talk about it. I am sitting here with Brian Stiltz with Reaper Minis. Now, anybody who knows from gaming in general knows Reaper Minis. You guys are probably one of the biggest minis companies in the world right now, aren't you? Uh, We're definitely in the top three, yeah. Um, So what is your position with the company here? Um, So I'm a community manager. Uh, I also work in the IT department. And in the past, I've been the production manager and, and worked multiple different jobs on the production floor. Uh, I also coordinate our Kickstarter projects, and I work closely uh, with as part of our uh, plastics team for the in-house plastics that we produce in our factory. You guys actually sponsored all of the paint and take and all basically the minis painting here at Origins this year, didn't you? Yeah, uh, we actually sponsor paint and take events at almost every convention we work at. So, How did the paint and take go this year? I mean, did, did it run smooth? You had uh, really good painters or...? Um, it's been really full. Uh, I mean, for the most part, Origins runs it, and we just really sponsor it. But we're right across the hall, or right right across the aisle from them. So they've been crazy full, and we get a lot of people, a lot of foot traffic coming into our booth, going, "I just painted a mini at the paint and take, and now I want to buy more minis or more paints and stuff." So it's been wildly successful for us. We actually had multiple friends come up to Vicky and I today and say, "Hey, you got to go talk to Reaper. You guys go talk to Reaper." We had um, Kay Steele and Heather Hop and everybody that said, "We have to talk to you." So what? 
is um, happening with Reaper right now? What's some of the big things going on for you guys? Well, so our big news here at this show, uh, this Monday, uh, we launched our uh, Master Series Bones paint line. Uh, and so this show is, it's not the first show we've brought the paints to, but it's the first show we've brought the paints to where they've been uh, commercially available. Uh, so we had them at uh, PAX Boston a couple of weeks ago, and we had them at uh, Depticon in Chicago a couple of weeks before that as kind of a sneak preview. And uh, the audiences there really didn't know what they were, really weren't weren't sure what we were trying to sell them in terms of this new paint line. Uh, but here it's been announced, and we've got all the press information is available on our website so people know what the paints are like. Uh, and they were just very well received here at this show, um, flying off the shelves. Uh, so the Master Series Paint Bones line um, is more geared. It's It's... It's a higher density pigment uh, uh, ratio, much like our HD paint line. As a matter of fact, they're very similar in properties. If you're familiar with our MSP HD line, then you know what kind of properties you're going to get from the Bones line. Uh, but we've tested all of these paints to make sure they work well in our Bones minis, which is our plastic minis that we've come out with. It's a whole new set of 54 colors that does not duplicate any of the 54 colors in either of our other ranges, um, but also... If you got just the 54 Bones paints because you were just like, I just need one range and I want to get all of them, that's a complete set. It's got all the reds and all the greens and golds and silvers, where our HD, for example, does not have any true metallics. It has um, some yellows and some uh, grays that you can blend to make an NMM or non-metallic metal effect. Um, In the Bones paint, we went back to, let's do an HD metallic. Let's actually do a high-density, high-coverage metallic paint that's really good for applying that first base coat uh, and then if you want to do the more advanced techniques you can thin these paints you can dry brush you can th- you can wash with these paints layer and blend with these paints but you'll find in general that it's easier to layer and blend with the core colors because those were formulated for that purpose where the the bones paints and the hd paints were formulated for base coats and for for quick i really want to get this mini painted so i can use it in my game tonight you know let's get the green part's green and the brown part's brown, and let's not worry about highlighting it up and trying to make it look like it's lifelike. Reaper's been around for a long time. What is some of the, a little bit of the, um, let the geeks know a little bit about the history of the, because this company, I remember when I was a kid going to the comic shop, there was Reaper minis there doing D&D minis and things. What, how, how long have you been around? What's some of the history here? Uh, the company's about, let's see, it's, 19, it's, it's uh, 2016, so the company's 22 years old. And uh, it was founded by uh, two brothers and a friend of theirs named Al. Uh, Ed and Dave were the brothers, and they founded the company in their garage. And they actually founded it originally. They played a World War II uh, aerial combat game that was all about fighter jets, you know, Mustangs and, and the Luftwaffe. And I don't, I'm not really familiar with that game. I, know, I don't even know which game it was. But they were having a hard time finding the specific planes that they wanted to fight with for their game. So they got some friends who knew how to sculpt, and they learned how to sculpt. They're actually both quite accomplished sculptors. And they learned how to make the planes themselves. And were like, well, as long as I can sculpt it, I, don't, I, I want to learn how to cast it. So they learned how to become a casting house like under, under their own initiative, just so they could play this war game that they were very passionate about. Uh, and then over time, they were like, you know, we also play D&D. And... You know, this was the early 1990s, so so uh, board, uh, role-playing games were experiencing a second renaissance. They were really, really big in the early 80s, and then the kind of popularity waned a little bit, and it started to pick up again as White Wolf came in and introduced a whole new breed of gamers, and 
and you started seeing a lot more competition, a lot more third-party companies. It was no longer just TSR. And so they were like, well, these other companies, they make minis. Well, we, we know how to sculpt, and we have a casting house, so could we sculpt minis? And so they started, I believe Dungeon Dwellers was their first uh, miniatures line. Um, and those minis, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I don't think those minis were all that great. But, but they, they made the company enough money that we were able to reach out to some of the sculptors that had gotten a name working for some of the big names in the industry, like Grenadier, Bob Ollie, and uh, Raul Partha, where we got Sandra Garrity and Julie Guthrie. And um, we were able to pick up these sculptors into our stable, and we launched the Dark Heaven line in, I think, 1998. So we'd been around for about four years at that point. Uh, we launched the Dark Heaven line, and as luck would have it, um, um, role-playing games hit a third renaissance in 2000 with the advent of third edition D&D and the open gaming license. Um, and right about that same time, um, Ralph Partha lost the license to make the licensed Dungeons & Dragons miniatures. And so very suddenly you had a, um, a vacancy in the miniatures market and you had this new up-and-coming company by the name of Reaper that had already kind of gotten a foothold into the stores with Dungeon Dwellers. And we had this stable of sculptors that the D&D players went, oh, I know Julie Guthrie, she sculpted all the things I, I bought from Ralph Partha back in the day. And I know Sandra Garrity and I know Bob Ollie. And so all of a sudden we had these names and we had this this product and the market was ready for us you know so we jumped out there with dark heaven legends which at this point in time there's almost 1800 different dark heaven legends miniatures we have over 600 almost 700 warlord miniatures four or five hundred chronoscope 200 and something pathfinder miniatures and then you add in uh, about 500 bones miniatures we've got about 4,000 miniatures in our catalog right now Wow, that's a lot of sculpting. <laughs> but um, you were saying that now the bone, now the other miniatures are um, pewter or lead, right? The original pewter. ones, pewter. Okay, but um, you said the bones are actually plastic. Now you're still going to be making the pewter miniatures, correct? Oh yeah, yeah. No, our our casting house in Denton uh, is set up to produce the the metal miniatures, the pewter miniatures, which is pewter is just a tin based alloy, uh, so that's a white metal alloy. And that's, that's what we're set up to manufacture, and that's what the majority of our employees work on. Uh, we have one plastics. The, the plastics department is two people. It's myself and a guy named Kevin, and we work together with it. Um, but that plastics machine doesn't generate nearly as many miniatures. Now, we also have a manufacturing partner in China that helps us produce the bones. Uh, the bones are produced in a vinyl plastic, which is not like the styrene. If you're familiar with a lot of other miniature model kits, like uh, Games Workshop kits or Privateer Press plastic kits, uh, those kind of th kits are usually a hard styrene. Okay. Uh, some of the companies now are starting to do uh, a resin plastic hybrid, Pleasant, some people call it. Um, and we're, we don't work with that. Ours are a vinyl. They're soft. So if you're familiar with, say, the, uh, the DDM pre-paints or the Pathfinder pre-paints that WizKids makes, uh, Heroclix, that yeah. kind of thing, uh, our plastic is much more similar to that in texture and in, in flexibility. So you can drop it, and it's not going to break. I was really big on Heroscape, and it was a very similar type of um, miniatures. Yeah, it's very similar in that. Uh, and and um, we're also working on, we originally launched our first plastics line was our Legendary Encounters line, which was a pre-painted plastics line. Uh, and we are working on revitalizing and revamping that line with the, the tremendous success of Bones, giving us almost 500 part numbers. And our, our Bones 3 Kickstarter, which we'll be fulfilling this fall, 
um, adding another 300 part numbers to that mix, this 800 models to choose from, we're going to take that legendary encounters line and be able to use those models, not not 100% of those models, but use those models to build a foundation so that legendary encounters will be a strong non-blind, non-random pre-painted line where you as a game master or a player can go, you know, I really need some kobolds for tonight's game. Walk over to the shelf. There's a pack of six kobolds. They're already painted. You know what you're getting. You don't have to dig through the singles bin. You don't have to buy this box for $20 and hope you got a kobold in it. There's these kobolds. And you know they're going to be affordable because they're Reaper. Once actually in the development line, you may be able to give us a little bit of hint of something, maybe. Uh, Well, the next thing we're working on is um, our plastic bases. We're actually going to be coming out. We have, uh, I'm going to get the number wrong. I want to say we make 18 different plastic bases now, ranging in there's um, sizes uh, from 20 millimeters all the way up to three inches. And we make them in squares and circles. Um, And later this fall, we're going to come out with... um, 17 new bases. Uh, several of them will be new sizes of circles and squares, like 4-inch and 5-inch bases. We've never had them that big before. But we're also going to start coming out with oval bases. Um, just basically, ba- <laughs> no pun, um, trying to, to cover what you might need your bases for, no matter what game you play. Uh, we want to be able to have something so you can come to our booth and go, yes, these are the bases I need. Oh, and I can actually afford them. Um, we're and we're all gamers. There's there's 24 employees at Reaper, and we're all nerds. We play, and so we want to make things that complement that. Now, what are the, the bases? Are just something for the minis to actually be able to sit on to use them on the field, or what? What are the bases for? Yeah, uh, they're just something to help your miniatures stand up. Uh, the mini, the bases, typically a character that's an inch tall would go on a one-inch base. It would either be a square or a circle. And some games require it to be one shape or the other for their rules, but often it's just a matter of preference. Like uh, D&D gamers uh, used to prefer square bases. Uh, since the advent of the pre-painted plastics, which all come with round bases, round bases have become more popular. But that's really just so that... The, if you buy a Reaper Mini and put it on a round base, it looks like it belongs with all the DDM pre-paints that you may have picked up from WizKids. So the other thing I want to talk about, um, and this isn't something that Reaper is doing, but it's something that Reaper, we as a company, are very excited about. One of the other companies in the industry uh, that we are good friends with the owners of is Secret Weapon Miniatures. You might have heard of them. And Secret Weapon will be doing a Kickstarter in late July, running through mid-August. Okay. Right? So... I believe it's going to either end right bef- the week before Gen Con or the week after Gen Con. I don't remember without looking. Um, but they're doing a, a Kickstarter for some uh, a uh, mine terrain system that is going to be absolutely fantastic. And uh, we actually had um, some terrain projects in the works that we were working on that might have potentially made it into Bones 3 or into, our, into a hypothetical Bones 4 because we, we talk about whether or not we're going to have one. Uh, and we got so excited by Justin Secret Weapons' uh, upcoming terrain project that we actually canceled our terrain project, and we decided that Reaper was going to uh, partner is the wrong word, uh, but we, we've been working very closely with Justin to help him bring his project to market so that we can, because we're, we're just so excited. So I do want to want to promote uh, Secret Weapons' upcoming Kickstarter. Okay. Uh, keep an eye out for that. Their uh, website is secretweaponminiatures.com, okay. and they will have all the information there. I don't know how much is publicly available right now. I don't know. 
you know, I'm not even fully sure what I'm allowed to say and not say about it, except that this is a, this is a project I'm very excited about. Reaper is very excited about, and we really believe in this company. We've worked with them in the past. They do a lot of rust effects that they're known for, corrosion effects, things like that. So you can paint your, your war mechs and your battle mechs to look like they've seen damage. Okay. Um, and we help produce a paint line for them. And in, in the process of working with them, we just we became very close with them as a company. They're good, really good people, uh, and we just couldn't be more happy to support them. Every comic and hobby shop and um, even craft stores sometimes in the world has Reaper Minis. <laughs> but if it, other than going just to the store, where else could people actually find Reaper Minis? Uh, well, if, you, if your local game store doesn't have them, uh, and if your local game store is unable to order them for you, uh, you can find them at ReaperMini.com. Uh, we also try to hit, uh, now we, we will not have a presence at Gen Con this year, uh, but we will be at Historicon in Virginia. I think it's July 16th is the, the weekend that it's happening. Uh, and then we will be at PAX, e, or PAX West in Seattle, which is Labor Day weekend. I think those are the last two shows on our convention calendar this year. So that was Brian from Reaper Minis. Reaper, like I said, is I was shocked by the when he said there's only 24 employees for this company. <laughs> for the size, for the amount of minis that are out there that are Reapers, it's it's insane. You just get the right people for the job, and they can run it efficiently enough. Exactly. So, um, and actually, that's why their minis are so affordable, really, because if you look, Reaper Minis don't cost that much. Actually, Kylan. But I kept asking everybody, where can you get your stuff? Where There was a common thread to, between all these, that all these companies, you can get their stuff through this place called Amazon. <laughs> so, Kylan, where, yeah, it, how it, can it, they find Amazon? Well, you know, if you're already you know, listening to GeekWatch 1, you can just uh, go to www.geekwatch1.com and uh, go to our sponsors page and uh, go to the Amazon link. Click on that link, and you know you can pick up one, two, or all of the games that you heard <laughs> mentioned on this show. And uh, actually, you help us out a little bit in the process. It doesn't add anything to your to to your purchase. It's just a regular uh, transaction for you, but it gives a little something back to us. Also, we're on the Tangibound Network at tangiboundnetwork.com and are the home of um, GeekWatch1 at WeebyGeeksPC.com. So, for Miss Dawn and for Kylan and for myself and everybody from Origins, just remember... No matter where you go, there you are. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast.